have I got a story for you. Was he sitting there wondering what flavored juice box he was about to slurp? Whether it would be the lion or elephant that he pulled from the animal cracker box next to chomp his head off. Perhaps he longed for the unobtainable carpet square to sit crisscross applesauce curling up to a good picture book. Then, bam! Some little nose picker poked his inner bear and unleashed his adolescent beast. Don't worry for your safety, dear listeners, like I did when today's guest turned on a Zoom camera. He's a fucking beast, all right, but a beast with strong philosophical tendencies and an extremely tender heart. Speaking of tender hearts, a word from today's sponsor, Andre Psyche. Yes, mourn with me. AndrePsyche.com is dead, loyal listeners, but Andre Psyche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is alive and thriving. Andre's adopted a minimalistic lifestyle with materialistic things like websites, cars, his hair. However, his creative libido, and I hear there is nothing minimalistic about it, is fully stimulated and viewable on most social media platforms. Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others like you feel good. Just search him up, Andre Psyche, the next time you're looking to friend or follow someone outside of your social circle. What? Did someone bring up friending and following? Yes, I did. And please, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. It's getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod. Feeling a little generous? Want to do something good? Do you have about five seconds? Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. And while you're at it, please rate and review the pod. How else can you support this upstart? Thanks for thinking of us. You can go to our patreon.com. It's all one word, getting the number two. No, the letter U pod. Search us up and become a subscriber. We'd really appreciate the support. And finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast is downloaded in over 46 states and 45 countries. Global. I'm talking global. So again, if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show. We are getting to know Evan. Evan, who is not intimidating, but has the most intimidating background of anyone I've Zoomed with lately. Evan, thank you so much for uh, 
coming on the pod and letting everybody get to know you, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. It's nice to meet you all. <laughs> yeah, so the only reason I say that about the background is it looks like you've got some, I don't know if it's boxing or MMA or what in yes. the background. And you kind of yes, have, and just for the description, when you were like scratching your head originally, you've got like these tats going down the forearm and on the bicep. I see some medals and you kind of have that like wrestler look to you. Yeah, I mean, the ears definitely yeah. help facilitate that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I guess not stereotype, but persona. You know, I I, uh, I was walking into Wawa the other day, and there were four police officers out there, and I, and I just said, hey, guys, how are you? And they said, where do you fight at? <laughs> and I said, well, can you tell because of the ears? And they just said, no, you just look like somebody who just gets into it. I'm like, well, I, I think, thank you, I think. <laughs> but, so, yeah, so uh, the pictures on the back there, are that's from uh, one of my local MMA fights. Um, was locked in the cage back in, I don't know, it was like 2011 probably. Oh, wow. The top picture there is uh, some combat sambo I did out in Scotland. Uh, I got to go to the President's Cup for Team USA and uh, do some combat sambo. So that was really cool. I got to meet the Princess of Wales and all that good stuff. I have no was, idea what, did you say combat zombo with a Z? Yes. Sambo, S-A-M-B-O. Oh, man. Dude, I I know nothing about that. Never even heard about and, it. So Sambo is a Russian sport originally. It was, like, used for Russian military training originally. Okay. Um, and, of course, they turned it into a sport because those type of people are generally pretty competitive. It's like, uh, it's like if judo and freestyle wrestling had a baby, it would be Sambo. Okay. Um, and then the combat sambo legalizes the strikes and things like that. So it's basically MMA uh, with bat. It's on a like on a wrestling mat. So there's like boundaries. It's not in a cage. Gosh, yeah. Um, and the rules are different. Like they score points for takedowns. They score points for certain techniques. So it's not like a judge thing. It's like if I take you down in a certain way, I get a certain amount of points. If I hold you in certain positions i get points for that so it's like jujitsu freestyle wrestling and uh kickboxing all gotcha had a baby. Yeah. scored similar I'm, so i'm kind of familiar not super familiar i'm a middle school basketball coach so i'll talk to the wrestling coach because it's the same season and yep. i have a very basic primitive understanding of wrestling and scoring points and you know whatever stalling and tech falls and pins and yep. all that type of shit so it, that's that's interesting man and you went like you're on a national team america has a national team for this oh uh, yeah so samba yeah so samba in america is like really small it's like <laughs> almost unheard of like a lot of people don't know about samba but over in like russia um like china kyrgyz like Kyrgyzstan, like that whole area, um, it's really big. So we went, I got a call from Eric Purcell. He owns a gym around here called NPR Endurance. He's one of the Team USA Sambo coaches. And I've known him for years. I've been training with him. He's a friend of mine. Um, so I guess they had like an opening on the team around the weight that I normally fight at. Okay. And I was driving home from my dad's in upstate PA and I got a phone call and he's like, Hey, you want to go to Scotland and compete in two weeks? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and, uh, 
I'm like, what, what are we doing? He's like, oh, Combat Sambo. So I had never done Combat Sambo previous oh, to this. I was about to ask how much experience you I had. did all of the different parts of Combat Sambo, but I never did Combat Sambo. Gotcha. So they were like, uh, yeah, man, you'll do fine. You got Your skill set is really good for the way the rules work. Combat Sambo. So I said, okay. So we had two weeks. So I just basically spent two weeks like learning what the rules are, how the points are scored, what are the objectives, that, that kind of thing. Um, it's really interesting because it's a, since it started as like a military type um, art, they they reward very heavily for you getting people in vulnerable, vulnerable positions without compromising your own. So, for example, if we were both standing and I was able to throw you directly to your back without losing my, without leaving my feet, uh-huh. and you hit your both shoulder blades flat to the mat, it's over. That's it. Oh, better it's than on and judo. Yeah, you can just end it just like that. Oh wow! Uh, if I throw you from my feet to your back uh, and I stay on my feet, but you don't hit flat, I get four points. Okay. If I do like a regular takedown where I shoot on your legs and we both go to the mat, I get two points. So like the objective is to basically like, you know, if you're fighting and you're wearing armor or gear or whatever, you get thrown to your back and someone has a bayonet or yeah, a knife a, or whatever. A or a knife or so, something like that, that's that's death. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like how the – to my understanding, that's like kind of how they formulated the rule set because – it was teaching people like, you know, if you're tussling with some guy on some battlefield somewhere, you do not want to end up on your yeah, back. No doubt. So sounds like they're just, that's the kind of shit that like John Wick went through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John Wick and uh, Christian Bale in the first Batman oh, yeah, remake. Right. That, yeah. Or Ra's al Ghul. Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Dude. So was it, was it tough for you to put, the three, like I've never tried to combine different elements into one game. I'm trying to think, like if I tried to combine trampoline jumping and basketball, I wonder no, how so, hard it would be. So let me think of like a basketball analogy. So it would be like if you played on a regular basketball team, it's five on five, right? Yeah. If somebody asked you to do a two on two or a three on three, there would be some different aspects of it that you would need to probably make certain adjustments to the way that you played or game plan, but it's still basketball. Gotcha. Uh, because I had done MMA in the past, MMA is mixed martial arts. A combination of all of it anyway. So all of those aspects get lumped together anyway. So it was literally, I didn't have to learn any techniques or have to change anything I did. I just had to learn okay, how does the scoring apply to what I'm yeah, trying right. to do? And just maybe plan the round a little bit differently, but that was pretty much it. it it's not a judge's round. They're not looking for, okay, all these different things. It's like, if I take you down, I get this many points, and I can look over and see the scoreboard. <laughs> Easy enough you know, to keep up with. You know exactly what you need to do. Gotcha. You know, in MMA, it's weird because you might be thinking you're winning a round, yeah. And the judges don't think you're winning around, and everybody's kind of just like, yeah, I think I won that round. Yeah, just much like boxing, right? Like you don't yeah. know it, and I know I, I guess boxing can go different amounts of rounds, but you always feel terrible for those dudes, whatever, 10 rounds into a fight, 
And you can kind of tell they back off just trying to like maintain, they think they have a lead. And then the disappointment that comes over their face when it's a judge's rule for the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. In my MMA career, I never lost a decision. Every time I ever lost was like, I got TKO'd or whatever. (laughs) I never lost a decision. Um, because I always felt like I was losing every round. Yeah, I just right. I just assumed I was losing every round. Um, <laughs> obviously, MMA make make a mistake. It could be a very quick night for you. Um, but you know, I just always assume I'm losing every round. Yeah, because if you're winning and you think you lost that round, you're not gonna. You're still gonna come out like you're losing. Yeah, the aggression. Right, and so that's gonna help you win the round. I. Like what you said about guys toasting at the end sometimes, you definitely see that happen. And a lot of that's based on like, what are the coaches telling them? Okay. God. So they're in your ear. Yeah. Have you ever watched UFC? Uh, here and I, I won't pay like the ninety dollars for the prime prime time yeah. cards, but I'll watch yeah. some of the undercards that are free on ESPN. Yes. So you, you see, like in between rounds, they like take you to the corner and they like yeah that you hear what the coaches are telling them and things like that. And it's always very interesting to see, like sometimes you see coaches and I guess this is dependent on the relationship that they have with that athlete as well. But sometimes you see coaches and they're just like, it's like all positive. It's like, you're doing great. Keep it up. Keep working the jab. Keep doing this, keep doing this. And then you see some coaches and they're like, you need to get off the line. You need to do this. You need, and it's like, they're very focused on like, here's all the things you need to fix. And it's like, I guess it's, like I said, it must be dependent on like, they know their athlete, like this athlete responds better to encouragement than, yeah. Right. Then, so like like me, I need somebody in my like in my face. Like I, I need like that's how I get pushed. You need to get barked I'm at. Very, yeah, I have very thick skin, and I don't I don't enjoy being barked at like that. But I respond well to. Gotcha. Some people don't respond well to that, and you know that's that's the difference between a good coach. Uh, and a bad coach. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, knowing how to motivate, knowing how to speak, knowing what buttons to push. It's almost like you know how to trigger your athlete in the best way. And yes. I, I feel like a lot of it, and again, I'm a middle school basketball coach, but I have been coaching almost 10 years. And for me, it's not so much about the game as it is about the preparation and the practices. And for then sure. when they're in the game, trying to give them confidence that you've been through this. We drilled this. You got to apply right. the drill to the situation. And Literally, they, nothing's different except that it counts now. Yeah, no, just do what we've been doing yes. and trust it, and it'll happen. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you say that because um, the, the beginning of my well, my whole MMA career, I had no coaching. I just was like, oh, I just want to compete. I want to, I want to fight. I want to do Were you just, can can I ask you though, are you, were you just like an angry person that makes you want to fight? Do you enjoy Um, getting like into fisticuffs? (laughs) It's been quite a journey, honestly. And I'm, I'm I'm just getting to the point where I'm able to like tie all the lessons together. Cause it's been like quite a journey that goes all the way back to probably I was like five or six years old and I was like this super nice kid and I used to get beat up. I used to get picked on all this stuff. And, uh, one day in first grade, 
uh, I was sitting in class after recess and the principal came to the office and he said, uh, Hey, I want to let you know that we, we know that you are getting bullied on the playground and we want to tell you that we're very proud of you for basically taking the beating for not fighting back <laughs> for not making it a fight. Um, so I went home, I guess they had called my mom about it. And my mom was like, I'm very proud of you for not fighting. And my dad pulled me aside, yeah. you know, like the whole mom versus dad yeah, yeah. thing. My dad just said, Hey, listen, you don't let anybody pick on you. Okay. If somebody's hitting or kicking you, you have to do what you have to do to get them to stop picking on you. Don't ever just let someone pick on you because you don't want to get in trouble. So from that moment on, I started like just sticking up for myself. And then over time, that weirdly morphed into like me becoming a bully, which was really <laughs> strange. Like in high school, I got a reputation through middle school of being like this scrappy little guy. So all the, you know, air quote, cool kids were like, oh, Evan's a tough guy. And then I started getting this attention from this, this other crowd where it was cool to be not only tough, but show people how tough you are and X, Y, and Z. What's your, and what's your height weight? Just to give me a little bit of a visual. Five, five, six, 148. I'm a little guy. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, 148, if you're in shape, man, that's a thick little guy. Yeah. 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 I am, uh, I'm not dieting or anything like that. In my career, I fought all the way from 155 down to 135. But 135 is like the weight that I should be fighting at. Gotcha. These guys, these guys that like in the UFC, that it's crazy. Yeah, but they, they're uh, like, I, I know guys that, that are like, they, when they're just training and they eat whatever they want and they're not dieting or anything, they're like 195, they fight at 155. Yeah, dude, I, I've heard that they gain almost 15 to 20 pounds after the weigh-in for the fight. Oh, some of the bigger guys gained like 30. Yeah, it, I mean, that's... My, my first fight at 135, I weighed in at 134.8. And the next night when I was fighting, I was 151. God. It was 17 pounds. It's, and it's all water, you know? Right. You just, you just, you just like blow up like it's, a sponge. It's, um, it, it's something... And, and I want to get back to the scrappy little guy high school bully stories because I love that shit. But... Over COVID, I got more serious into running and I just started running longer distances. And I was like, fuck it, man. Let me see if I can run a marathon. Cause like, what else do you do in the country? I did literally the same thing. Yeah. Okay. We'll so, about that next. Dude, I, I, for whatever reason, I started getting into this habit of weighing myself before and after my runs. And if I ran 20 miles, dude, I would drop nine pounds. Yeah, I mean, crazy, it, it, right? it was fucking amazing. Like, and yeah. you just think how much you sweat and how much liquid is in you. And then yep. if you take that to a fighter and you're fasting, or I, I don't know what other extras like tricks of the trade, to right. lose another couple of pounds and then get it back. So you're not like weak, right? Because you can't be yes. weak while you're training. Yes. You if, you go, if you take it too far, it's easier to be knocked out. It's you, you run out of gas a lot fat, right? You have to there's definitely a point where it's no longer an advantage. Yeah. You know? I mean, I wish weight cutting would just go away. That would yeah. be cool. But it, it's like, it's like whoever the first wrestler was that decided to cut weight. Yeah, fucked everyone. It, that guy had a huge advantage. So then everybody started doing it. But now it's like, if you don't cut weight, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. Cause every, every everybody's going down a couple of weight classes. It's crazy. Yeah, it, 
it happens in high school. My principal's um, son is a wrestler. Um, and you just hear how they strategize even before the season because they kind of get a feel for who's where. And right. they're always trying to drop down like two weight classes from what they're, what's their natural weight. Right. And it's just to try to be bigger and stronger than yep. whoever's down there. And that's the unfortunate side effect of whoever the guy was who figured out that that could be an advantage. Right. Because now everybody is just like, I'm at a disadvantage because I'm smaller, you know? And it's like, as a guy that fought at four different weights, I could tell you that like, it, it's like what I fought at 155 as a pro, my second pro fight. And I got on a scale at like 149. And this guy's like, he's like six one. He was probably 180 something when we were fighting. Yeah. You know? right. And I'm like, man, I don't think I should be in this weight class. <laughs> this guy's way bigger than I am. But, you know, you live and learn. Like I said, I didn't have really much coaching at all going through. I just kind of just jumped in. Um, but anyway, back to the high school thing, I was started like kind of becoming like that guy now. Now, the next thing you know, I'm like beating people up to show that I'm tough. I'm, I'm wondering like, like what your technique, were you a shit talker? Would you just like purposefully, like what would piss you off about someone? Did you search out like what, who you thought was weaker or you thought was too cocky no, or no, someone would like was, just, um, totally ego driven. Totally ego driven. Um, for one guy in ninth grade, he was from he was, he moved up to the suburbs from Kensington, which is like a real downtrodden part of Philly. Um, and people were walking around like, "Oh, Ev, I don't know. I think Dan could beat you. He's from the hood, like that kind of thing." Uh, okay. So the next thing you know, we're on the football field. There's 50 people around, and we're fighting. Um, but then after that fight, that's when I like became like popular. Cause I beat up the kid from the hood, you know, that kind of thing. So then after that, can, my can I ego ask though, cause th it, I'm super interested in fights probably cause I'm such a bitch and it's why I get into running. Cause like anyone who can run a marathon is definitely not a bitch. It's very hard. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'll tell you this, man, I'm not a scrapper. Um, <laughs> but like, that's why I run. Cause I'm not a different scrapper. kind of toughness for sure. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's something when I'm messing around with a couple of dudes and I've been around, Delaware almost like 30 years now so now we're older we talk shit to each other we're in our 40s so you know we're around kids but we talk shit to each other and like they want to be tough with me and I'm like man I'm not trying to be tough with you it's why I jog I'm gonna slap yeah. you one time and I'm out you're just not gonna catch yeah. me dude and I'll just keep running till you're tired exactly and I'll wait for you and then maybe I'll kick you come back but the first fight like is it a one punch knockout? Or are you getting on the ground? Or are you guys more like box ninth grade? I'm trying to think. Most fights seem like they no, get on the ground kind of quick. It was pretty one. It was it was one sided. Uh, I hit him a few times, and we ended up on the ground. And I got in a decent position where I was able to hit him a few more times. He said, "All right, all right, all right." We were ninth. We were trying to kill each other, so I stopped. Yeah, I got you. And not I, up, and I, well, I, we were done. You know. Yeah. It was like a proving who can, you know, whatever. So then I started like getting this reputation, I guess, and you know, fifteen-year-old man, male, not a man yet, fifteen-year-old yeah. males are completely. It's ego and testosterone. And if you got that kind of identity that you're living up to. I mean, you're yes. just seeking that shit out, I would imagine. 
You're like trying sure. to find this higher. It's like you're looking for hierarchy now, and it becomes this very like almost like a primal weird thing where you're trying to find your spot in the pecking order of right. whatever school or neighborhood or community that you're in. Um, so then I started getting into high school and it was like, it was always like the back and forth with like, Oh, could this guy beat this guy or whatever? Um, I ended up getting almost expelled for beating up some guy over like a, he was like making fun of something. I was talking about a picture day. It was like, <laughs> stupid. this is where I realized I started going a little too far with it. it was like, I, uh, were you wearing a bow tie? And he just was like, no. we were talking about something. And he was like, he basically just called me an idiot and a clown. Oh, and I was like, we got into it a little bit. And that was it. And I just decided I was going to beat him up after school. So I did. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't really know like what the point of that was, you know, uh, you start kind of questioning it, but then it goes away because everybody's telling you you're the man. Yeah. And I look back on it now and I'm like, man, why did I, why did I become that? You know, but it was like part of my journey. I got, I mean, I got jumped in the woods. I've had people trying to flip my car over. I mean, like Holy we used shit. to get into all kinds of stuff and Jumped in the woods and flipping your car because of people you got into altercations with going to get their boys or their friends. And yeah, then well, yeah, so my brother you. was living upstate in the mountains. So he's like, come on, we're going to go to this keg party. So <laughs> we're like, I'm like, well, where is it? He's like, well, it's up this mountain. Like, there's nothing around. It's just a dark road where there, it basically wasn't even a road. There's just not trees on this hill. Right. <laughs> we're driving and my car gets stuck. I kick. It's too steep and gravelly. I can't get up. So we stop, park it there. We walk up. Fucking Honda, man. We're, yeah, we're at this cake party <laughs> and we're all having a good time. My brother starts. My brother was like the little one that did all the, like all the yapping. Love those guys. That was me. Go, my brother will beat you up. It was like that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> So he's talking to this guy's girlfriend. We're like 18 or 19 now. So he's talking to this guy's girlfriend. And the guy apparently was like the tough guy from Tawanda, which is this little hill, this this little town. But apparently he was like the tough guy. So he starts talking to my brother. My brother's like, ah, no, listen, I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the guy like wouldn't leave him alone. So I'm like, you know, dude, he, he doesn't. He didn't mean anything like leave him alone. And then nobody knew who I was. And it's like, well, what do you want, city boy? And then oh, one thing leads to the next. So we end up fighting. I end up on top of him. And I hit him a few times. And my buddy, like, grabs me from behind. He's like, yo, we got to go, dude, right now. And I, we look, and there's just, like, people, like, literally coming out of the woods. Like, <laughs> oh, to fuck. jump us. It was the craziest thing. I, th I thought we might die. We got in my car. We're trying to, like drive down the thing they're jumping us while we're getting in the car they're trying to punch through the windows holy shit so my brother gets us stuck on the side of a hill going down and they all were jumping on the hood like trying to like rock the car right. to flip the car over and i'm like well this is not good i don't really know how we're gonna get out of this situation because now we're even we're in the car we can't even run away they won't let us out of the car um so the guy that i fought with ended up coming down and being like yo yo let him go and really? he helped push us out of the ditch <laughs> Did so it was like this weird respect thing but it, I, I guess 
He didn't want anybody fighting his battles for him, maybe. Yeah. I, I kind of understand where he came from, but uh, but after that, I'm driving home, and there's mud handprints all over my car. My windshield got smashed with a rock, and I'm driving four hours home the next day, and I'm like, man, something's got to change here. This is not the trajectory <laughs> that I want to be on. Gotcha. And it's like, how did I go from being like such a nice little kid to like, this is what I'm doing now, you know? So I didn't want that. So I, I, I worked, I really worked hard on like just becoming a better person and stopping letting my ego control me in those ways. And so it was, I don't know. I started training in MMA when I was 24. So that was like another five years went by. Yeah. I was going to say my ups and downs. And the reason I started fighting, which is funny, it's a really funny story. It's definitely an e The reason I got into it was also my ego. Ego's, ego's tricky. It's really tricky. It makes you do things. And if you don't realize that your ego is tricking you, the next thing you know, you're spending however many years of your life doing something that you don't even want to do just to prove right. whatever to whoever. So... I was 24, I was kitchen manager at a restaurant, had, a, had my own apartment, had a dog, had a girlfriend that I lived with, was doing good. <laughs> and we were watching a UFC card on pay-per-view one night, and my girlfriend had a crush on this guy, oh. Roger Huerta. So every time Roger Huerta would fight, she would want to watch. And so I had a couple beers in me, and I'm like, I could do that shit. <laughs> She's like, oh, I don't know. Those guys are athletes. They, like, basically tell me, like, no, you yeah. can't. Without saying, no, you can't. So the next day, I, I signed up at a gym. And then four weeks later, I had my first fight. Within which, four weeks, huh? Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Literally had no idea what I was doing. I got my ass kicked. I, <laughs> I had dude, no idea what I was doing. I, so I'm wondering, when you're telling me about these fights, are you more like a technical dude, or are you just kind of like naturally strong? Are you working out through high school? Are you on the wrestling team? Like, uh, where's the, I, I wrestled know. one year on, in JV. Um, I was super into, uh, like, strength and physical fitness. So I did a lot of, like, heavy bag body weight workouts. Like, I had the dip record on my high school. Um, I had the body weight bench press record on my high school. Um, so I was strong. I was always strong, but I had no idea. Like I, technically I was never good. Gotcha. I was never good. Um, I started fighting right away. I started jumping in and doing all these things. And my whole career was, you can look it up. It's win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, win, win, lose, win, lose. It's just like every, every, every other one, like win, lose, win, lose, win, lose my because, whole career. Because when you win and Forgive my ignorance, but what I'm thinking is you win, then you're going up a level. And the, the what I would assume, because it's what happens in basketball, and I feel like it happens in every professional sports, the athleticism and natural strength starts to even out. And really what separates seems to be the technical application. In okay, basketball, I, I agree with you. You know, yes, it's, it's all about feet. The, the problem for me, though, was I went into everything too fast. I had... I turned pro eight months after I started doing any type of training whatsoever. Um, I was, I was winning because I wasn't getting tired okay. and, and I was, you know, I lost a lot of amateur fights because of my wrestling. So I got really good at wrestling. Um, and so I would win fights like that. 
Uh, and then it was all about, you know, were people able to deal, deal with my skill set? Because my skill set was one thing. So everybody knew it. I was going to come and brawl and wrestle gotcha. and make an ugly fight and just try to grind it out. Um, but that's why I, every time it was a decision, I won. But a lot of times I was losing. I was getting kicked in the head or uh, whatever, caught in a triangle choke, like all these different things because I never took the time to develop myself. Gotcha. And I just was literally just fighting. So that was my last, my last pro fight was in 2014. Okay. So um, you're an old that's man. When I should, that's when I should have turned pro because I started in 08. So my whole career was done completely the wrong way. Like no training partners, training in the basement, running hills by myself. No, like just all just put the gloves on and, Let's go see what happens. Um, so it's, it's good. It taught me a, a million lessons about winning and losing and fear and ego and challenging yourself and doubt and affirmations and all those good things. But um, so I'm curious I, if I can ask, like, how did you deal with losing? Um, I always and, and I think this is part of the whole win loss thing, too. I always was much hungrier after losing. Uh, I always had a lot more trouble getting properly motivated after a win because it was like the whole, Oh, it's working. Yeah. Ah, I got the win. I'm getting better. But the problem is I never had any skill development. I would fight. And then three weeks later I'd be fighting. So it was literally that, just fight, new conditioning, cut weight, fight again. Dude, how did your body, like, are, are the fights not taking some sort of physical toll on you? Or are they getting done um, that quick? And, well, every fight wasn't that close. Uh, but they're, you know, basically I was like the promoter's dream. They would just be like, we can't find a guy to match up with this guy, so call Evan. He'll do it. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. So I fought, I fought all the tough, like, upcoming regional guys. I fought a lot of regional champions and things like that. And, uh. You know, when I stopped doing it, it was because my last fight, I just didn't even want to be like, we we're getting ready to fight. I'm just like, how long until I fight? So this is over. It's like wow. cage fighting is the wrong sport to feel like that about the actual competition itself. You know? Yeah, I would think uh, so. <laughs> that fight didn't work out too well for me. Uh, <laughs> I went and I, I stopped fighting after that. And started just focusing on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was less impact. Um, I really enjoyed it because I wasn't good at it. Um, I really enjoyed the learning process again. And I, I kind of like refound myself through that. It's amazing um, what – and I, I, it's something that – it's part of why I got into the podcast, part of why I got into the running aspect. You just feel better. It's something – I don't know what it is, but I – and I feel like everyone feels better when they suck at something – dedicate themselves to getting better. Maybe it's the ego, but I don't feel it's an ego. I feel like humans, something in them just want to conquer a challenge. Yes. I think the ego is the reason why people quit things when they're not good at it. Oh, okay. I think the ego is the reason why people say, this is stupid. Why am I wasting my time doing like to me? That's when, yeah, that's the ego play. Like, okay. If, if you suck at something and your first thing that you want to do is quit, that's your ego telling you 
to quit because it's not good at not being good at things. Yeah. You know, like my wife does this like bar blend Pilates type thing. It's like a ballet strength training right. thing. And she's always like, oh, why don't you do this with me? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And the reason I don't want to do that is because I did it one time and I was sore for like I did two like five days. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't hold my body this way. And you know, she, my wife is she's like a, this tiny little thing, yeah. and she's just like, dah, 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 dah. and I'm like over here shaking. No doubt, tough guy, tough guy in some yeah. spandex, can't can't yes. touch his toes type shit. And you're like, man, fuck this. Yeah, yeah. So I think part. that's the way the ego hits people when it's a when you really let your ego go. And for me, um, when I started training without competitions lined up, is when I started getting better because the goal was actually to enjoy it and to get better, not prove to my girlfriend who left me when I started training that she made a mistake, or mm. prove to this guy that I'm going to be in the UFC next or prove to this guy that I'm going to do this, you know? Um, so once I started doing it just because I wanted to get better, I started, it's magical. I started getting better, but the yeah, goal right. was to get better. You start getting better. Um, and so that about three years later is when I did the Sambo thing. That was to that, the end of 2016. Okay. Um, and I've been training since. So I got my black belt in jujitsu in, 2019 early 2019 congratulations man yeah thanks that was that was a big one for me because you you don't get that unless you don't give up yeah that you have to be consistent at something for for you have to be consistent for a very long time to be considered that so Um, and i don't know if it's because i've been listening to joe rogan's podcast and he just speaks so highly of jujitsu continually humbling you and grounding you because there's yep. always another person that'll hit you with some sort of move where you're like, fuck, I'm not as good. And he, he it's basically, it beats his ego. And I'm curious timeline wise, cause I thought about trying to like take some lessons, but again, yeah, I'm yeah. Southern Delaware and I'm like, like, like we're a bunch of farmers out here. Am, am right. I going to learn real jujitsu? Am I going to fucking go somewhere? And there is a place in jujitsu or in Delaware. I don't know its relation to you like time-wise it's called vault pjj some of the guys i train with at the place i'm training at now are from there and they're they're pretty solid okay so might be worth looking into yeah. i don't know anything about the school itself but i know that they're from delaware but see like that's my thing is like i could go somewhere and i could pay some dude for like whatever i could show up for a year and not know that this guy is full of shit or you know i'm so like i've got nothing yeah. to compare it to because I've got no background to understand, oh, this is what good jujitsu is. This is what solid instruction is. And like, I don't even know the time frame if I wanted to set a goal to get a black belt. Like, is that a yeah. three-year process? Well, is that a once a well, week I, for... I started training in 2008, but I didn't tr- really train jujitsu at all until 2011 is when I started training jujitsu. And I got my black belt in 2019. Oh wow! So, so it was eleven years total, um, about eight years of solid just training jujitsu. Um, it takes a long time. It takes a long time, and it it's uh, like if you take one class a week, it's going to take you very, very, very long time to get good at jujitsu because it's like there are there are movements, there are techniques that work, but the huge majority of jujitsu is figuring out. Um, like 
the intangibles, feeling someone's pressure, understanding someone's tendencies, knowing which way, okay, if they're putting their pressure here, one of these three things is going to happen. But you can't think about, like, you can watch videos and go, oh, the way to set up the triangle is this. But it changes everything when you're well, it's, it, it's it, seconds, man, right? Like it, it's, it's has to be so much quicker than basketball yeah. where you have a move and you make like a little read here and there, like jujitsu, man, it seems like the fucking rolling. Like, I, I mean, I've wrestled around with folk and it's amazing how quick shit flips and you're like, yes. what the fuck happened? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's what the, the, that's what takes the, the longest I feel like to really grow is that understanding of things that you're not even aware that you're processing while you're doing it. Like during the role, there's a million things firing in your brain, yeah. but you're only good when you just can feel what your body feels. You just react to it. Yeah. If you're thinking about what you should do next, then the guy you're going with is just going to be moving all around. You know and what I mean? So that that's in my head, what I felt would distinguish someone who's learning versus someone who can utilize it is, you don't go in with this plan of let me get my hand here, let me get my leg here, let me get this person's head in this spot. It's really just maybe you start off with a plan and then it's all reactionary. Yeah, I mean you have tendencies, right? Like I have certain positions where I am naturally much more successful from topside half guard with an underhook or like that's my favorite. I love that. Um Everyone has like positions that they prefer to be in, but it's like, if you told me to come to your house, there's a lot of different ways for me to get there. The point is, am I still going to get there? And and that's when you start becoming good because, you know, if I like a certain setup and the only way I know how to set this choke up is this path, what happens if you block that path? Yeah, man. I I have another way to get there. So you do go in with the plan. Like, for me, if, if I'm going, I like to be on top. I like to be in half half guard or uh, side control. I like to be, I like the top positions. That's where I prefer to be. Or a front headlock position, like a wrestling position. Um, some people like to be on the bottom. Some people, you know, you develop a style and then you just find different ways to implement it because everybody's not the same. So you can't address every person the same way. If I'm going against the wrestler, and I, if he's a division one wrestler, I'm not going to try to out wrestle him. I automatically yeah, know right. this guy's going to out wrestle me. I need to find another path to get there. Maybe I can sweep him to get on top because I'm probably not going to take him down. Right. So it's super interesting because it's really, it's just like why it's just lifetime problem solving. Yeah. And you definitely will, it makes you humble but for sure. I remember the first time I ever did jujitsu with my coach who gave me my black belt. His name's Jeff Cobb. And I was at the gym and I had like maybe two or three weeks of training and he would just pop in randomly. Like he wasn't like an instructor at the gym. They didn't have a jujitsu program. He was just like, Hey, nice to meet you. Do you want to roll? I'm looking out. This guy's wearing pajama pants. Yeah. Okay. We'll roll. (laughs) And I just remember it was like, 
that night I was like that Kermit the Frog meme where he's like looking out the window and it's raining and he's just it's like, man, I don't know anything. That guy could have ended my life at any time he wanted to. He could have just killed me. That's something, could have that's something I've heard repeatedly is like the jujitsu dudes who know what's up, like who have all that skills, are actually super, super nice because they don't fucking break your arm. They, they don't right. paralyze you. They don't kill you. They just kind of, I guess it's role. I think of it as like, fuck with you. And just to show you how good they are, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's a science behind that too. Cause there's some guys that like, that don't know how to roll properly. You know, if, you, if you're black belt level, you should be able to train with someone who's brand new and you should both be able to get something out of it. Okay. If you if, if if you're a good black belt, you should be able to roll with somebody who's not good, and you should still be able to work on things. You know, gotcha. um, you just work on cleaning up certain things. You just let them move. Yeah, right. Like, so if yeah. you're a black belt and you're smashing a white belt, that's just a dick. What's move. the point? Yeah, right. So you- basketball wise, I, I'll tell this to kids when it's pretty clear if they're playing one on one and eighth grade to sixth grade, you're looking at prepubescent versus dudes with like goatees and mustaches. Right. And I'm like, dude, you're fucking whatever, 6'1". Like, do you really have to take him to the post? How about you work on your step back? How, yeah. how about nothing but, exactly. Left, exactly. nothing but left-hand layups? That's the only way you can score against this kid is left-hand yes. layups. You know, so I don't know what the moves would – I guess it would be different for everybody because if you're a basketball – if you're a jump shooter, you need to work on finishing. If you're a finisher, right. you need to work on jump shots. And I don't know the terminology, but like what you were saying, maybe for you, you would just take a white belt and it would be all about you getting better being on your back. And maybe yeah, counting. exactly, exactly. So, so like a lot of times, like, oh, here's this guy's a blue belt. Okay, I'm gonna let him get completely on my back in a, in a very bad position, and I'm gonna work on escaping. Gotcha. I'm gonna give you a really good position, and then I'm gonna get out. Yeah, and how humbling is that? Because if you're the black belt, are people looking around being like, "Man, you ain't no fucking black belt. That dude put you on your back real quick." Uh, Do you have to fight that? It, I mean, it depends on the on the gym you're at you know the the guys that roll with you know what you're doing you know like it's there is a bit of a target on your back as soon as you get a black belt because it's like man if i could tap a black it's like (laughs) getting tap is not it's like who cares you get i I have been tapped out so so many thousands of times that i don't even i I couldn't even tell you yeah i could like i could guess based on how many years and how many sessions per week and like figure out what I think the average is, but I'd say 10,000 times probably. Yeah. Well, it would almost be, and I guess again, just to beat the basketball analogy to death, but like how many times does a good player get a point scored on them? Right. Like nobody, yeah, how many, how many free throws did Kobe Bryant shoot in his career? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's just like, it happens. And I would imagine if you're a black belt, if you're not getting tapped out, then how are you working on something and honing your skills? Cause I would assume you would have to have tried something to get yourself in that position. You'd have to be yeah. working on something to get yourself in that position. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's, there's levels in black belts too, right? So okay. there are black belts who do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that's what they do. My buddies, Danny, Myra, and Nick Salas, they just opened a gym in, in PA called Movement Art. They are world-class jiu-jitsu guys. They are better than me at jujitsu, <laughs> clearly. Um, they understand things more. They have a, you know, there's levels to anything. There's college 
a college football player, college All-American, NFL third string, NFL yeah. second string. Like, there's the levels just continue. And then eventually you end up at Tom Brady or Jerry Rice. Right. But <laughs> just because you're a pro football player, everyone can't be yeah. that level. So, yeah. you know, I definitely win a lot more than I lose. But I, I lose plenty, even when I'm trying not to. Um, but I think that's the key. I think the key is finding places where you don't win all the time. Yeah, well, it would keep you hungry, right? And again, it goes back to the humility thing. It goes back to working on skill and you want to learn. Like it would really suck yes. just to be this dominant person, but there's no one there to sharpen your blade, right? Like right. iron sharpens yeah. iron. And, I mean, getting, getting tapped out sucks a lot more when you get better. It, it's weird. It sucks more, but it also doesn't because you, you have a better way of looking at it. It's not like you, like when you're brand new and you think you're Mr. Tough Guy who got in all these fights and then you come in the room and just get like, just keep people are playing with you. It's like, oh man. <laughs> but when you don't get tapped out for three and a half months and you're training with all these high level guys and then you get caught, you do tend to be like, you beat yourself up a little bit. But I've been tapped out so many times I could easily talk myself out of that mindset. Like, dude, chill. Yeah. You tried something to see if it was going to work out. You got tapped out. You either need to make an adjustment next time or you need to just get rid of that and just say, okay, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's put that as our 18th go-to move. <laughs> right. If you're a little kid, like, I, I, I think of learning, like, if, if adults could look at learning anything that they wanted to learn, playing an instrument, shooting a basketball, doing jujitsu, whatever it is, if they could just unlearn all the things they learned by being a grown-up and look at it like a kid. You ever see a kid beat himself up because he, he falls down when he tries to walk? No, man. Again, again, Oop, again, again. Whoop, get up. Whoop, yeah. get up. And there's just no – they're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And adult, the adult population of the, well, this country, but – the whole world could certainly learn a lot from that mindset. But once your ego fully develops, you need to develop this like type of an identity, so to speak. Yeah. It's hard to just shed that and go, I'm not listening to you. Go away. It's part of, and I think honestly, a little bit of the bitch in me, um, cause I love self deprecating myself, but part of what I've thought to go on what you're saying, like why I haven't gone through with the jujitsu it's like, dude, do I want to go to this place, be the new guy and get my ass kicked in front of these people? And like, it's, I'm apprehensive about it. I'm apprehensive yeah. to be humbled publicly. And I, I don't, I don't see it as humiliated, but it is humiliating to yeah, continually sure. just get your ass whooped. And I think that's the thing too, right? Like that conversation that you're having with yourself. I mean, a lot of people have those conversations with themselves about a lot of different things. And I think a lot of people, so my buddy, Joel, uh, he just ran the Zion 100. So he just completed the Zion 100. It's an ultra marathon. Okay. It's a crazy race. It's like 11,000 feet elevation gain, 100 miles. It's in the desert. Like, it's like. He's, he's an ultra runner. I've had a couple ultra runners on here. Actually, my one boy, um, Dylan, is fucking – he's at Mount Everest Base Camp with his shirt off and a fucking GoPro jogging yeah. like 15 miles around yaks 
and you're what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you, man? And he, and he's, yeah. he's from Hawaii. And it's like, yeah, that's just what I do. It's like people there's, say that. Yeah, people say that to me. They're like, why you want it? Like, you go on your day off, you go to the gym where people are kicking you in the face. Like, what the hell? What, like, how's that? And you, you start to figure out that it's like, it's not about getting punched in the face. It has, like, that's just part of it. That's part of the problem that you need to figure out, you know? But anyway, what I was saying about, um, like, the way you're feeling about if you wanted to join jujitsu. I feel like a lot of people have problems admitting that something is not their priority. Mm. So Joel, okay, for example, he knew I did jujitsu. He does my he does the podcast with me. He used to work he used to work for me back in the day. He's a nurse now. He's one of the best employees I ever had, and he's a really good friend of mine now. Um, but for years, I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna do some jujitsu with I'm going to get in there and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start. I'm going to, and I, it's like, Joel, we can be friends if you don't do jujitsu. It's okay. <laughs> you like, but so he found eventually over time that he really liked running. Yeah. That's what he does now. And I don't feel any urge to go run 30 miles. Right. I've done it once, 26 and a half miles once. I'm good. I like to run five, six miles at a time in the trails on a nice day. Yeah. But I just dabble because it's a nice workout and it, it's you know it's good for your mind. It's nice to be in nature and stuff. But I think people just have to be okay with the fact that like, no, I just I'm not interested in learning that. That's okay. Yeah. You know, people feel like they have to do certain things that's going to take up part of their life that they only get one of because. Well, I should learn jujitsu. If you want to, you should. Yeah. If you have a reason to. Yeah, and if I guess if you really like it, I guess if I really did want to, you'd I, already I would. be doing it. Yeah, no doubt, right? Like it's one of those things where I'm like, man, do I want to fucking roll out there for 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back? Now it's 40 minutes. I could be doing something else in my time. And like you almost start finding these different reasons where. For me, for jogging, I'm the same way. Like I've gotten to this nice space with five, six mile jogs. I love, man. I throw on some music. I let my mind drift. I fall into a rhythm. It's great thinking. But I plan my day to prepare for that. And that that yes. that could be anything. That 50 minutes that I commit to running could easily be committed to. That. Yeah, and I, I do that shit three, four, five times a week like it's nothing. Exactly. And I that could be jujitsu. But at the same time, I'm like... Honestly, part of that fear is, fuck, man, if I go in there and I, I, I don't think I would cry, but like if I throw my hip out, if I fucking tear an ACL, yeah, no, if my shoulder comes out of socket, I'm like, fuck, man, I, I like I can go for a jog. And if I, if I start feeling my body slow me down, like my hamstring, OK, man, like let's back up off the pace. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know if that happens if you're rolling with somebody, if I feel some sort of hip pull oh, and I'm just, like, ah, Give them a tap. Yeah. They'll stop if you're at any kind of decent place. But it's really important that people understand that like you can only have one like you you can only have one priority at a time. That's true. So when people say like, oh, I wish I could do this, but I'm too busy. Yeah. Whatever you're doing at that time, that's your priority. And people yeah. would be like, Instagram being on Instagram is not my priority. And it's like we have four hours of screen time today. Yeah. Which means that you chose being on social media for four hours instead of doing something else for four hours. Right. And that's where I feel like people get 
a little bit messed up with their line of thinking. Like, I can't do that. I work too much. And it's like, well, how many hours did you work today? Well, 12. Okay. That's a long day. But if you have to sleep eight, you still have four more hours that you could read, write, work on a business plan, train, whatever you want. Meditate. (laughs) But I think people want to feel like they have a certain thing as a priority, but they don't realize that like it is or it isn't. If, if it's your priority, you'll be doing it. So like, if you really wanted to do jujitsu, I'd have been there. You would have that dialogue with yourself. You would just show up and be like, I'd have been there. well, I guess we're going to see how this goes. No doubt. I, again, it's, it, it's cause I'm a bitch. That's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> I don't know, man. Listen, anybody who can run 26 miles is definitely not a bitch. Yeah. So I ran, no, I'm Go just going to say at, at 20 miles, I had to stop and I felt like it's, I'm actually going to do it again to run the whole fucking thing. So it, it was, it was my pride that got me cause I trained and I think I hit like 17, 18 miles and I never bring water. I never bring water. And for the marathon, I'm like, all right, man, 26, I'm gonna bring some water. So I got this little fanny pack with two 10 ounce bottles. So I had 20 ounces of water to fucking in October. Not I started, enough. dude. So not only was it not enough, but I got done with the first bottle at mile 16 and my lips were so chapped and I look at the bottle and I'm like jogging and I got it up here. I'm on like a nine minute a mile pace, which I'm like, is pretty decent. The fucking, there's the um, silicone gel packets that the bottles come with. I had filled up the water and left them in there. So I don't know what it did. I don't know if it had any effect, but it mind fucked me like nothing else, dude. For the next three, four miles, I'm like, in, in my head, I'm like, dude, I'm poisoning myself. What's my body going to do? This shit is meant to dry you out. Is this why? And at mile 20, I'm like, fuck, man, I'm just not going to push. And then I went, whatever, three, three quarters of a mile. And then I walked a quarter of a mile, three quarters of a mile. Then I walked a quarter of a mile for the last six. And oh, when you got it done now. No, yeah, I mean, I, I finished under 4.30, but at the same time, I'm like, I didn't really run it. So like this summer, I teach and, you know, I'll be off in the summer and I'll be able to give it a good three, four weeks of preparation. And I'm like, dude, you can't be this guy that thinks you're tougher than a marathon. Fucking put some water bottles out, man. Go to the course, yep. drop some water bottles, like make sure you stretch. Maybe you shouldn't drink the night before, dude. Maybe that'll help too. You know, it like, definitely helps. Just, yeah, the first time I, I went to run my trail marathon, I had just worked seven 12-hour days in a row. <laughs> I, slept for four, I slept for four hours. I got up. I chugged a pint of water. I ate a cliff bar, and I started running. <laughs> I got to mile 12, and I had been done it, doing like 15 regularly. I got to yeah. mile 12, and I'm like, this is fucking horrible. I need to stop. And then I just start. I'm like, I'm not stopping. So I kept going. Next thing you know, I'm cramping. I can barely walk. I'm falling down. I did eight miles like that. I got to 20 miles. I'm like, that's not happening today. So I went home, rested, hydrated. Four days later, I did it. But the four days in between, I was hydrating. Yeah. I was eating good. I was sleeping. I was off from work. And then all of a sudden, I did it. The next, I did it four days later, and it was better. And I'm like, huh, no shit. Maybe rest and hydration is an important factor yeah. in running a marathon. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Let me make sure I stretch a little bit. It, it's it, it's it really was one of those things that, again, with that ego and my pride, like thinking you're better than something. And it was kind of nice to be humbled because it gives you this respect, respect for yeah. your own body. 
respect for yep. people who do that kind of thing. Respect for, for sure. even just preparation and planning leading to success versus thinking you can just fucking show up and not dominate, there's, but there, be successful. Yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot of that in our society, right? Like you go, like how many people you go out to, like you go out to a Miller's Ale House or something on it on the night of a UFC fight, and you got all these guys, and they're 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 fat, they're drunk, they're and they're like, this guy's a bomb, and it's like, guys, you don't have to want to do this, but like. I mean, you're you're calling one of the top fifty people in his weight class in the entire world a bomb. Yeah, say it to his face, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel like I feel like a lot of people they want to downplay the accomplishments of other people because it makes them maybe feel better that they haven't found their path yet. Yeah. But I feel like that energy would be so much better spent figuring out like what do I want? To do? Like, let me just listen to myself. Yeah. And do what I want, and it's scary sometimes really going for something because you don't want to fail man you right. don't I give you everything and fail yeah it's like but what's a worse failure going for it giving it everything you have and not getting as far as you wanted or not doing anything at all because you're scared dude i see it and and i don't want to get um too philosophical but i tend to be somewhat philosophical so teacher wise two things i've noticed which i think is real interesting Kids now, at least around me, when they need help, do you, they don't say, excuse me. They don't say, I have a question. Do you know what they say? They say, wait. Like every kid. I'm talking about for three, four years now. They're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. And you're like, what do you mean, wait, dude? I'm standing right next to you. Like, why in your head are you right. thinking, wait, you're constantly feel like you're behind? Is this this fear that you're being oh. left? Is, are you overwhelmed with life? Yeah. And then the second thing that's happening is huh. they mock effort. Try hard, yep. try hard. And and, it, and it, it's astounding to me. And it's hard because I'm 40 and I know fucking to every, whatever, 12 year old, like you're not cool. You're, you're an old guy, right? But it's, you want to be like, why are you mocking this dude who gave effort on his drawing? Like you should be amazed by that talent. You should be right. like wanting to have that talent. Why are you telling someone who has talent that they gave effort on and you want them to feel shitty about that? The fuck is wrong? Like you want to be like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And it's like when you break it, if you break it down far enough, it's because they feel shitty about that. Yeah. And you're like, so have you ever heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? I have not. All right. So it's Gary V. He's on Instagram. He's a, I guess he's like an inspirational type dude. He's an entrepreneur or whatever. Okay. But he's like, hey, listen, if I told you to go make the tallest building in the city, there's two ways you could do that. You could destroy everyone else's buildings and just build a regular house. Or you could take the time and the effort to figure out how to make this work. And you don't have to destroy everybody else's building. Right. And I think people lose track of the fact that life is not a zero-sum game. Yeah. Like – you can grow and I can grow at the same time. And so can this guy and so can this woman. And we all can move up together. You know, everyone's ceiling may not be the same, yeah. but you should never, it's, it's like crabs in a bucket. The crabs never oh, get out dude. of the bucket because every time a crab is reaching over the thing, another one grabs his leg and yeah. pulls him down. Yeah. It's a very sad uh, part of our society is that people want to pull people down. Yeah, it, it's cultural. 
for sure. Yeah. That, that That's a huge cultural thing. And I, it's funny. I worked in a crab house. It was one of my first jobs, man. It fucking worst place to work clean and fucking whatever. Oh my God, dude. Like by the end of a shift and I'm like 16 thinking I could go to the movies and try to pick up chicks. Cause I got $50 in my pocket. And yeah, you're like, that's not how, enough. how come I'm no one likes me? It's like, bitch, cause you stink. Dude, I, I want, and I didn't get to ask it. I'm so curious. What is the skill or what do you have to demonstrate to become a black belt? Uh, well, is there a tangible, any, like, like, you have to, like, anything, I think it's commitment more than anything. Um, cause like I said, there's levels of black belts. There are black belts that I roll with and I can tap every single time we roll. Oh no. What I mean. So what's the belt before black belt? Is it purple? Brown. 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 So yep. what, what is the assessment? Do you roll with another black belt and they deem you worthy? It's different everywhere. There's not like a specific like criteria to okay. become a black belt. That's what I was wondering. Uh, you have a black belt instructor who basically gets to decide when, because, uh, so there's, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's lineages. So if you want to compete, you have to be able to show like, I got my black belt from Jeff Cobb, Eric Purcell, who got his black belt from Sergio Pena, who got his black belt from. Uh... And so if you're with a respected lineage, it's basically up to that instructor to say like, you're a black belt. You've put the time in, you have the skill, you have the understanding of the sport. Because some guys get their black belt when they're like 65. So they're not going to go like be dominating people in all these competitions. But it's like, what's your understanding of the sport? How about your ability to teach? How about your ability to instruct? And You know what I mean? Gotcha. So to me, I think the biggest thing is just really truly being committed and just keep going to work. And it's like, it's not something that you should ever be on. When do I get my black? You just keep showing up and you'll get it. Like I was a brown belt for five years, which is a long time to be a brown belt. Usually it's like two, one or two. Okay. Because um, by the time you're at brown belt, you've developed your skill to a certain level where you're just refining things, trying to get, trying to get over the next hump or whatever. But I was a brown belt for five years and year three and year four and five of it, my coaches all the time, like, I'm working on getting you promoted, man. I'm trying to get the credentials. I'm working on And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it would, it's going to be awesome, and I'll be really proud of it when I accomplish it. But I'm here to do – I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. And the belt at the end of the day is just a formal recognition of, like, this guy put his time in. That's what it means to me. Like, uh, if you see a black belt, it doesn't mean that he's the best in the world or – he can't lose it. It means that he's put his time in and he has dedicated a very large portion of his life to one specific thing. So it's just like any other promotion. You get promoted in jujitsu. It's like you get promoted in a job. You've been okay. in the kitchen grinding as a line cook for three years. They want to make you a shift supervisor. Right. And then you become shift supervisor. Now you're a manager. Then you're the general manager that, you know, so I, I use that analogy because that's that's also what I do. That's my like career. Oh, are are you a chef? Uh, I'm a GM of a Red Robin. So I uh, oh, I started out as a dishwasher. Yeah, I started out as a dishwasher and just kind of grinded my way to the top. The restaurant industry is one of the few industries where you can still do that. You know, yeah, dude. So I was a restaurant rat. My first job, um, 
It's hilarious, man. I, my first job, I was like 14. I went to this place called the Lemon Tree down here, which is still there. It's amazing. It's fucking 40, 30, 40 years old. And the dude didn't want me on the schedule at all. He was such a dick to me, the owners. Like overweight, might have been Italian. I, I don't remember his ethnicity. But all I know is he was a jackass. He was so dismissive of everybody. And he made me come back for three fucking weeks to check in. I'll give you a job now. I'll give you a couple hours next week. Give you a couple. So he finally gives me a shift. And I'm like, at that point, I got to prove myself. And I'm just like, right. oh, I'm going to be the fucking best. Gotcha. And I'm running around. I'm scrubbing dishes. And I'm busting tables. And I'm taking out the trash. And blah, 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 busting my ass as a 14-year-old. He gives me my check. And he's like, great job. Got you on for three days next week. And I opened up the check and it was like with taxes and all this shit. Whatever he did with it, it was like $48. And I was like, fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> and yeah. I was done, dude. So, yeah. dude, and but then anyway, like later on in my life, I got into waiting tables and I got into bartending. I did a little yep. bit of line cooking. I grew up in the restaurants, but it's very underestimated to start at that bottom because you do get paid shit. Like you're a dime a dozen, man. Like they don't give a fuck about a dishwasher and to have that persistence to be good enough to like move your way up and consistent in a yeah. restaurant world. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. And it, you know what though? It's like, it, that also depends on the environment too, right? Like I, I, I've had, I've had a ton of bad bosses. <laughs> I have had a lot of bad coaches. I have experienced so much poor leadership in my life. Mm. And lack of mentorship and all these different things. And for whatever reason, I'm, I, I've learned how to become a leader right. because of just remembering like, man, that is not how I would ever treat someone. And I just told myself like, man, if you're ever in a position where you're able to do this, don't ever do, don't ever be this guy. Don't ever be this guy. And I remember every single one of their names. Now, I'm not going to call them out. Yeah. Whatever, but <laughs> bad leadership can teach you a lot about good leadership but you have to be willing to look at it i feel like it's so easy like man this guy's a dick and yeah he is a dick but even those guys have lessons for you yeah it's just like you you, you have to be i i, I want to say receptive but at the time as, as a 17 year old kid i wasn't like oh this is gonna make me a good leader one day <laughs> this is gonna toughen me up and make me you know, i'm like i'm like man fuck this guy yeah but then as I got older and I'm starting to get in leadership roles and I'm like, we're at a manager meeting and they're like, man, we don't know what's going on with this, this or this. I'm like, well, it's probably because of X, Y, or Z. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, why don't we try giving them this or this? Let's change their schedules this way. And I'm like, man, Evan, they're really responding well to that. How did you come up with that idea? And I'm like, well, because I know how they feel. Yeah, right. I fucking Because I had this done to me. Yeah. And if you guys will just listen to me, I can really help you increase the morale of your line cooks because I was a line cook in a really shitty environment. Dude, and, it's, it, it's a military. So I was National Guard um, for nine years. And you always got your officers and you got your sergeants, right? Yep. And then what you really need is the conduit. And the conduit is the most fucking important part. Whether it wouldn't be necessarily like the platoon leader, because I believe that's always an officer. But if you had like a squad leader that could just, was intelligent enough to, and poised enough to speak to upper management, but could also... In a way that that they will receive the message. Yes, but also could get down... And then one of the things that I've noticed in my job 
it, and it, it, it mind fucks me, man, is when upper management or decision makers, the people who truly have the authority and the power, don't listen or even want the insights of the people who are fucking grinding with the yep. people that the decisions reach. It's a weird, like, I, I, I always take it as, man, you're not secure. Like you have imposter that's syndrome because no wonder you're not reaching out and humbling yourself to be like, Hey, what do you think since you're there? Let me make sure I incorporate that because you probably know the pulse. Right. And they, and, and I feel like leader, like people at that level, like executives or ownership branches or shareholders or whatever, it's like they, they don't even, I feel like they don't even think about that. But like, to me, I'm like, you have no idea what is happening inside your restaurants. You're looking at your Numbers. spreadsheets. Yeah. And spreadsheets, this, man. This. But it's like, you know, you can do both. You can say, Hey cooks, what do you think would be really good to do? And they can say, well, we need this, 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 this. And you say, okay, well, hold on from a business standpoint. That's not going to work. Yeah. What if we try this? And then you open up a conversation with them and you pick certain parts of their feedback and you implement it. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, holy shit, they buy in well, and because here's, it's their idea. And here's the other thing that happens is by having that conversation, you're training the next wave of management because they want whatever. They want fucking AC in the line to be 65 degrees. And it's like... It's just not feasible. Do you understand right. what that does to our cost and our electric bill would go up 400%? Therefore, there's no air the conditioner stronger than a grill. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, You're no going to be hot near the grill. No shit. Yeah, it's like, why does this oil always get me? Can't we yeah. cover it? It's like, well, do you want to fucking dunk the fries or not? But right. it makes them aware of variables that they are not aware of and it makes them think more broadly and then it allows you, when you put them in the next position up, to have perspective of not just being in one position yes. on a line, but in totality of the bottom line. And yes, I, you're I, actually developing those people to see a bigger picture. Yeah. And if you're able to see the entire picture, you can usually find solutions that are somewhere on the edge of a no. Yeah. No and and I, I do, I'm famous for this. My, my regional loves me and hates me because I'm always <laughs> pushing for things for the team. Right. But I know, okay, if I go to this, they're just going to shoot it down. Right. So I'll pull it back and I'll say, how about this? And, and now we're at least in the range of a negotiation where I can make something positive happen that will be positive for the team, but also positive for the business. It's like if you go to a car dealership and you see a car for sale for 50 grand and you say, I'll give you five grand. There's yeah. no negotiation happening. Yeah. If you go in there and you say, hey, how about, how about 42? Yeah. Okay, now now maybe there will be a conversation, but if you just go in there and go, five grand, I'll be like, get out of my dealership. What yeah, it's not even worth the time. I can't believe you're corporate, man. Do you see uh, yourself as corporate? Like, I, no, I, I want to see you in no. a tie. No, uh, I never wear a tie. Uh, I am the most hands-on GM ever. I get in trouble for it all the time. I work, I, I still work the grill. I still wash dishes. I do. I, there is nothing in the restaurant that I don't do because I am not too good to do that. And I don't think it sends the right message when here I am making, I'm making nine, I'm making seven times what this kid makes a year, Yeah. but I'm not getting paid enough to run the plates through the machine when the dishwasher's not here. Like 
that's always bothered me about the corporate structure of things is like, why the more you get paid, do you do less? You should be working harder. You're making more money, you know, and obviously you need to look at it from a business standpoint once you get to a certain level. Yeah. But um, this is this whole like the job I'm in now is not where I'm going to be probably even in the next year. Really? It's been something where I just kind of worked really hard. And I just kept getting promoted, but it was never, it was never my goal. I never really had a career goal, but I now have a career goal and that's going to be working for me. I'm going to eventually get into that. The podcast is like kind of the first step of growing it into something that is going to be something that can be a sustainable, I hate to say business because I really want to make it more about like social, like helping people. I want like I want to help people. I want to help the kids that don't have any leadership or mentorship in their life, and I want to use martial arts to help them learn accountability and all these different things. But I don't just want to have a gym. I want martial arts to be a part of it. But I I want I want to help people be become good people. Dude, you have know, you so- thought about opening a charter school? I've always thought about this. So in Delaware. We, we were bored one day in professional development. We looked it up. So in Delaware to open a charter school, it's like a fucking 19-page application. It's nothing. It, 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 no, it, I don't even actually know if I understand exactly what a charter school is. All right. So, all right. All right. And if I mansplain, feel free to shut me the fuck up. So no, that's cool. a charter school typically has like a specific niche where you try to grab kids who are interested in that niche. So you could have a performing arts charter school where you always have the state of like every state has requirements for education. You have to take such and such classes, right? You have to take this many physical education and health class. You have to take this many English classes, this many art classes, this this many math classes. But what they'll do is they try to incorporate, say, math and they try to put a spin on it for you to then apply it towards the charter's goal. So if I mean, you had, that sounds pretty much what my what I'm trying to. Yeah. So get in Delaware, when you apply for it, kids in Delaware come with a price tag. Every kid, because we pay taxes, is worth twenty five grand. I'll make up the number. So if they go to their home district in a public school, that public school gets the twenty five grand. If they select your charter school, that twenty five grand goes to the charter school. Oh. So if you get enough kids who are involved, that's how you can then hire staff. You can build facilities. You get stakeholders who believe in the mission. And it's, it's one of those things where I've not seen – I've seen a performing arts charter school. I've seen like Montessori schools, which are like farm-based or free-thinking and problem-solving. Yep. And you have multiple ages working together and all this. But I've yep. not I've, – I've seen a leadership school. I, I've seen a charter school with the um, mission to get – first generation students to college where colleges actually sponsor it. But I've not seen like, and I would think in a city it would get ate the fuck up like a fighting self-defense. I don't know if fighting is like too barbaric, but like an MMA charter school where instead of math well, class, you would learn like how to fucking negotiate a contract, social yeah, studies. But yeah. And also like, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot too. Also like, Obviously, like real self-defense, but not only self-defense, situational awareness, de-escalation, yeah, right, things like that. Like not only fighting, like, yeah, you know, but so 
my idea was to call it the Fight for Tomorrow Academy. Uh, but I didn't know what I was going to put in front of Academy, but I wanted it to be like an Academy type thing. So this is great feedback and it's definitely something that's worth me uh, looking into. And I really appreciate that. Googling at the, at the minimum, right? Yeah. Cause every state has different rules, but it'd be very interesting, man, if that could be a focus. Cause I, I've always, I don't know. So, and, and it's kind of fucked up and I, I, I guess I should get back to more of your stories, but uh, Delaware has legalized gambling and I go to the casino and I'll put some money on some games. Right. And I'm to the point now where I've taught enough kids. I think I've been teaching about 16, 17 years. I look at the casino and I see all the kids who can't do shit in school and who are failures in school by school standards. Right. Understanding parlays and multiple different ways to bet and make money and percentage payoffs. And it's like, dude, you failed math for four fucking years. Yeah. And, and they're like, but math wasn't real money. And you're right. like, ah, yep. so it's not and really you. That goes back to Gary Vaynerchuk, too. He, he says, like, people tell me, oh, you failed school. And he says, I didn't fail school. School failed me. Yeah, 100%. He's worth like $100 million. He's got all these different things he does. Dude. And and I, I really believe, like, I like the education model they have in, like, some of the Scandinavian countries where it's not like, we're going to do algebra. It's like, we're going into the woods and we're going to, like, explore. Like, they... It, it's a it's a much more free form teaching thing. Functional, but I think what's missing in our society is like where's the practical application of like things, yeah. like life skills. Like people get out of college and don't know how to manage their checkbook, and they're yeah. like, it's like nobody taught me about interest rates. Nobody taught me about my credit score. Yeah. I learned all that because I tried to buy a car when I was twenty two, and they were like. <laughs> You're not getting a loan. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, dude, your credit score is 520. We're not giving you a loan. And I'm like, wait, so I can't just come in here and give you 500 bucks and you write me yeah. a thing and I walk out of here? They're like, no, that ain't how it works. So I had to like learn, like, well, what affects my credit score? How do I improve my credit yeah. score? Why is my credit score so? Nobody teaches that. Like, a lot of schools don't teach that kind of thing. Yeah. I hear that. It's funny that you say that being in Pennsylvania, because we hear that down here. Um, speaking to some of the guys, again, that I work with and talking to them about stocks. So I got a little bit into day trading. I got into it pre-COVID, but I was able to research a little more during COVID. And I'm starting to figure out like dividends and buying stocks for growth, like long-term plays, short-term goals, whatever. And they're fucking like, some of these dudes are amazed. Like they can't wrap their head around like, Wait, if you buy at 20 and then you sell at 25 and you got like 10 shares, you just made 50 bucks. I'm like, yeah, man. Like that, that's it. I can I can just take that money back. I can leave yeah. it on there. I can let it ride. I can it's, sell it's half of it. Like I, I buy this phone for 50 bucks and sell it to you for 100. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. It, it, yeah. And it, they're like, but how does the company make money? And you're like, I don't fucking know. Apparently the money gets to them and then Apple figures out a way to make like chargeless <laughs> earbuds and now you're like that's how they take the money man like that's how these companies yep. do research and development they're like that's how that shit works yeah i'm thinking back to myself i'm like dude i didn't learn that so i was fucking what 36 yeah if i'd have known that at 20 i might have been yeah. taking some how of that restaurant cash yeah you probably wouldn't have to be teaching right now dude, i'd be open up i you know what i'd have time for learning jujitsu See, it's go. the school's fault that I don't know jujitsu. The education system. They failed they, me. They, 
<laughs> yeah, but I, I I agree with that, and I think that that uh, that's along those lines is where it's like I would love to teach kids and young adults and whatever whoever, but I would love to help teach people all the things that I learned the hard way. I would love to use all my failures and fuck ups and mistakes and pain and all these different things and be able to say like, Hey, no matter what, you're going to fail and mess up and go through pain. That's going to happen. But maybe it doesn't have to be as bad or as painful or for as long as I did, because maybe I can help you. Yeah. Right. Consequences don't need to be so severe. Yeah. And I think that, that's we, we need we need more we need more of that in the world especially in this country right now we need more people just trying to help each other instead of everybody just being angry at each other all the time it's not productive you know no. and or, or or grow it doesn't help shit to grow it, it yeah i do like that analogy it's just it's tearing down buildings versus everyone can build their own building and um, yes, it's okay. you can you can you can believe X, Y, or Z, and I can believe this, and we can both have happy lives, yeah. and we can like the whole agree to disagree really needs to make a comeback. Like I would love to see that whole idea make a comeback, and you know, I the gym I train at is in North Philadelphia. It's incredibly diverse. My restaurant is incredibly diverse, and I know people from every possible spectrum of thinking that you could imagine race, religion, sex, sexuality, all that good stuff. And I can have conversations with every single one of them, whether I agree or not. I've never had it devolve into name calling, right. or, but it's because you're, you people just have to know how to be respectful of that human being. It's because we don't agree. doesn't mean you're a bad human. Yeah, right. You know? Like there's something fucked up about you because you don't. Get I mean, if you're telling you. me that like we should be eating babies, maybe you're a bad human being. <laughs> but other than that, generally speaking, it's okay to disagree, and we have to we have to get back to that as a as a as a country where it's okay. Like I tell people all the time, you know, I I was in I think I was a junior in high school when 9/11 happened. Okay. And I still remember there was never a time where the United States of America was more just, hey, we are in this together. Everybody's got to We didn't hear nothing about who was what uh, Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. or It didn't matter. Everybody was in it, and we all were grieving together. And you never want anything like that to happen. But it's like, man, if we could just recreate the six months after that happened, the way people looked at each other in this country. Yeah. Oh, shit, man. And the appreciation for people who served. Um, I think it was. So I was speaking to a Canadian, Lars, actually, maybe a couple weeks ago. And we he had brought up 9-11. It's funny. He had brought up 9-11. And I was, we had gotten into how cops are being perceived now with all black people always getting shot by white cops, right? That's a narrative. I think it's a narrative because it fucking sells and it gets clickbait and then it's easy to get manipulated. Not that it's not happening, but I don't know if it's happening to the extent that it's portrayed, whatever. But he was, we were talking and I'm like, talk about a fucking shift, man. After 9-11, firefighters, there was no one above them because they ran towards and now we're, completely vilifying them and 
what's right? Well, probably both aren't right. I don't know if they're the ultimate heroes that they were built up to be, but they're pretty, they're, they're better than average. <laughs> they're yeah. definitely on the, the better sure. side of good. And yeah. how did, how did we lose that in this country? Well, yeah. You know what the problem, the problem is, is, and, and they talked about this on Joe Rogan a little bit, but when you have something that happens and it can go viral, if you're, if you're seeing the video of like, let's say George Floyd, it's the perfect example for these times, you're watching that. Every time you open something up, you're seeing that you're seeing, yeah. you start to think it's everywhere and it's all the time. Yeah. And what happens is it becomes this tribal thing. And it's like, it's the cops versus minorities. Yeah. It's like, no, in that, it, like, why are we not able to separate based on what happened? Yeah. Like uh, there was a, there was a shooting. It was uh, Jacob Blake. He was one of the guys that got shot uh, last summer. So he was a, uh, he, he had 911 called on him for some sort of assault or something. And they went to arrest him. And things got crazy, and he had a knife in his car, and he, he, he went to go get the knife out of his car. It was, it was apparently, that's what is said. Well, they shot him seven times in the back. And it's like, you know what, let me give you a better example. There was a guy who was drunk at a drive-thru, and he fell asleep at the drive-thru drunk. And when they showed up on the scene, he, got, he tried to grab their taser, and he started running away, and they shot him and killed him. So why can't we look at the fact that, okay, Jacob Blake was trying to get a knife. That's wrong. Did the police need to shoot him seven times in the back? Probably not. If they had better training, they would have been able to take him to the ground and subdue him before he got yeah. to the car. But why do we, why can't we look at both sides of that? Like, Hey, this guy shouldn't have been trying to get a weapon out of his car. Yeah. But also, like, did we need to shoot him seven times in the back? Can we look at the training? Yeah. Can we? But when you have people that, like, don't know how to fight, they that, dude, are, that's my you thing. know, I, I know kids, like, I know guys that, uh, they're police officers now, and they were 19 years old, and their first job as a police officer was a footbeat in the projects. He got this little tiny kid from this well-to-do area, and you're right. dropping him in the middle of the projects where everybody hates him. They're terrified. No, dude, I've, there are eighth grade boys that I, like, I've been in classes and I'm 5'10", 170. I jog, I lift weights. I don't do anything crazy with weights. Um, But I got decent size on me. There are some dudes that if they flipped out as eighth grade boys, I'm like, I really hope I could handle myself if they came out. Right. If they were upset. Yeah. And I feel, I couldn't imagine if a girl, like if, if the kid's father came in and wanted to come at me. I, I'd be scared. And we, I think it can be very easy to forget how I would assume many a police officer has fear I and mean, what especially that now. fear does to them in situations. Right. It's and, something and you that you should understand. On, I, that fear is now on both sides because of the way the media portrays this whole thing. Yeah. And so you're going into a situation where, this guy already is afraid, and this guy already is afraid, yeah, and like, now they're looking at each other as yeah. a threat to each other's life before they even – there is no interaction. Yeah, it's the de-escalation. It, it, yeah, that, that, is, that is a skill is to just fucking breathe, let your ego go a little bit, 
we understand things have to happen, like take a moment. I, it, it's, it's humanizing. And I think that's part of what I hear from people is, especially when minorities get killed, it's you don't see us as a human because you don't treat humans that way. So why are you not treating us like humans? If you treated us like a human and had some understanding, we wouldn't be responding in these ways. You need to understand the fear that we have as well. And there's a ton of- But then it gets harder because after a certain amount of that reaction, the people on the other side start expecting you to react that way. So they're walking up a little more aggressive or whatever. And that's, now that is showing that the way they thought you were going to act as a cop is right. So now they're going to give you more of what you as a cop were expecting yeah. them to do. Somebody, and it's like, somebody just needs to be like, well, hold on. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. It's like <laughs> every, a- every interaction does not need to be that way. But that's where I feel like a lot of the instances where we talk about like the fear and like that life or death. And it's a, just, it's a reaction. That's where the training is failing police officers because they don't have enough time. And this is where like they should be doing hand to hand combat. They should be doing jujitsu. They like, dude, they should should be a fucking weekly class. It's so something in the national guard that I almost went full time, um, not to be deployed, but to be a full time national guard guy, which you're handling logistics during the week, setting shit up to like train the people. One of the things that was super appealing to me was they got in their schedule. They were expected, I believe it's six hours a week to work out. Yes. So if you want to do that an hour and 15 every day, hit the fucking gym, go get a jog in. You are expected in your day, you are told you must be physically active and train. Now, I have not, I have not spoken to a police officer, so I don't know this to be, but I don't know. Like I learned, I guess a little bit of hand-to-hand combat and basic training. I never fucking got into any more of that. Nine years, not one weekend a month. Now I shot a gun yearly because we had to qualify. I ran yearly and it was timed. I never once again did I have hand-to-hand combat as a national guards guy. But right. if I went to Afghanistan after 9-11 and got deployed, I, I could have been, had to throw hands with somebody. Maybe I got some training. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't know how often cops get that kind of training. And if you, and if it's not muscle memory, you don't feel comfortable going to it. It's not your business. And look, if, if I get into a tussle with a guy and I have a gun on my hip, that will be literally the the last possible thing I'll go to because I am comfortable and I am experienced in violent situations to where I would be able to think and act appropriately. You know, I could take a grown man down and hold him on the ground without hitting him or hurting him until I needed to arrest him. But you have overweight, out of shape people that are terrified and can't fight if they had to. So they just go, boom, 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 I got a family. And it's like, the, 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 to me, this whole problem goes to Whoever is in charge of the training. Like, where's the money, man? Like, you want to spend a quarter million dollars on, like, armored cars for a city police department and shit. Shouldn't need, yeah, they don't need that. They need to learn how to. Yeah, buy a gym membership, man. 
like like give them a fucking day off once a week. Send them to a- send them to de-escalation courses. Send them to like this is the type of training that should be happening in my opinion, and it, it's it's not happening. Hire a and therapist. You're wondering why you're sent like you're sending people that are completely unprepared to do the job to do a job and they're failing because no one prepared them. Yeah, and that's that's where like to me. The whole thing, and of course, I'm sure there probably is racism involved in certain instances. But to me, the overall, um, like, the larger picture of it is that people just aren't trained to handle the situations that arise. They're not ready to confront, man. Dude, I even see it in teachers. Teachers are scared to call kids out on shit because they don't know what will happen if the kid is a smartass to them. Now, I've lived my life being a smartass. It's part of what you do when you're a little bitch is you learn how to be a smartass. So, dude, like I love verbal sparring. I have no problem putting a kid in their place because I'm like, no, 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 dude. There are certain standards. Like you get your head up. Oh, I'm tired. Sucks to be you, bro. Get your head up. No one cares. Yeah. Yeah, Right. But like some teachers will avoid that conflict. They don't feel prepared to handle the possible ramifications. Right. I could not imagine if me being 5'10", if I was 235 and I sat in a car for most of my day and then all of a sudden I've got to, I'm thrown into this position where my life could be on the line. Yeah. And like, then there's the other, the, there's the other aspect of it too. Like the, the overall awareness of the situation, like, okay, this guy's drunk. He's in a drive-thru. He's now out of his car. He's running away from us. Why do I have to shoot him? Let him run away. Where's he going to go? His car's right here. We'll arrest him tomorrow. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, or, why do you got to shoot the guy? Yeah, but why, they, why can't he chase him down? They're freaked out and they're just reacting. Yeah. And to me, you know, I, do you know who Jocko Willink is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, oh, yeah. You actually found me because I was commenting on yep. one of Jocko's things. But I love Jocko. Um, he uh, he was done. talking to, I think it was Joe Rogan about how like the training should be mandatory like it should be part of your day training and therapy so i i had um therapy too for sure dude i had an ex-police officer who wound up having um ptsd i believe she rolled up on a 911 call where she tried to revive like a nine-month-old and the nine-month-old died for her and that was yeah, one of like. You can't say that's not damaging someone. Dude, she had like that was like one of eight instances within a twelve month span in California that she dealt with. She got wigged out, like she her mind would just drift, and then when she kept asking for help, instead of having her go to see therapists, they tried to give her easier assignments and just made her more isolated. And she was like, her biggest beef was. Why aren't cops, not just when something fucked up happens, because then you feel like you're weak. Then it's that alpha. And for her, especially because she was a female, she always wanted to seem tougher. She was like, you know what would have been great? If every fucking shift, beginning, end, middle, during lunch, mandatory 20, 25 minute check-ins with a therapist, no matter what's going on. If it's once a week, that's great. But then it's just the standard and you're not weak for wanting mental help. It's just part of our Yeah, no, job. that makes sense. That makes sense. And I haven't is- heard that um, put like portrayed that way. But I think that would be good because it, it's destigmatizing. It's not like you had an incident. We want to make sure you're not crazy now. And, dude, that you was know? it. She got one check-in 
And she was done and like, you don't get over something like that in, in yes. a fucking check-in. Like you need to, like, you're going to be triggered several, several times, many, many times after that. And, and, and accountability too, for the, for the officers that are doing the wrong thing. Like Derek Chauvin, uh, was not a good cop. Fucking what? He, 17 charges, uh, dude. 17 complaints. He was a piece of shit. Yeah. Like the, and, and that's where, I understand the anger around the George Floyd thing is because like this guy should not have been a cop to begin with. So, and I'm not corporate, I'm protected by a union. So a lot of teachers, not to his extent, but a lot of teachers can be pretty bad at their job and maintain a job. Well, that's police unions. In my opinion, the police union is the, what needs to be gotten rid of so that cops like Derek Chauvin don't just keep getting more jobs. Yeah, because there's a lot of places where you're not as a, as a, I'm hiring you to be a police officer. I'm not even allowed to see your performance history or your disciplinary history. Yeah, that's like fucking crazy. Yeah, they just they just passed the bill trying to change that in Pennsylvania. If if you're a busboy for Olive Garden and I want to hire you here, I can ask you what happened at Olive Garden and decide if I want to hire you or not. That's, yeah, but not if you're a cop carrying a gun around, and that's where it's like, you know. But the George Floyd thing is is another example of how people can't keep things separate. Like the, it's like, well, George Floyd did this, 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 and it's like, but that's irrelevant to the way that this situation was handled. Yeah. What George Floyd did in the past is completely irrelevant to what happened, and we can't separate. Like we're losing the ability as a country to separate or to look at things in a nuanced way. Like everyone wants to just get rid of all the gray areas and talk through situations. It's either this or this. It's either all cops or all uh, fuck cops. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I don't even know what happens if you defund police, to be honest with you. Like, it, well, it, just look at Portland. Yeah, dude, It's that's actually something that I have not seen. I've not gone down any sorts of rabbit holes or followed anybody with any sorts of videos out there. I've just got secondhand information about it's just fucking trashy. Like it, nine it, months of nine months of riots. Yeah. Well, it, it, to me, it's like who would want to go live there, thrive, and survive? Right. And now people are starting to leave those areas, and now all of a sudden you're seeing like, whoa, 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 hold on, we got to crack down on this. It's like, well, this is the problem with politicians. They only care when it's going to affect their ability to get another term, to get lobbying, whatever. So the the mayor in Portland, which is obviously incredibly liberal, so he didn't want to piss off everybody's going to vote for him. So he's like, no, they're just, they're angry about injustice. It's like they're throwing Molotov cocktails at people. That's not, that's that's not a protest. (laughs) That's not a protest. That's, you're trying to kill people. But so he was like letting this go on and on and on. And now, I read an article. They're seeing all their business. People are taking their businesses and are getting out of there. Like all this stuff is happening now. And like all the revenue is just going boo. And now all of a sudden he's like, we got to put a stop to this. It's like, dude, you let it go on for nine months. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. It's funny how they can project that um, kind of stuff. Like, again, it goes to poor leadership where it's like, did no one come to you with a chart of like, Hey, if we burn buildings, businesses may not want to be around 
and that's going to hurt us in the long run. Like it does, it does seem like such a simple, I don't know, domino. Like somebody, I'm sure there was a fucking intern that like whispered it to someone and just got like put in the corner. It's like shut the fuck up. Doesn't go with our agenda. It's like if I'm if if I'm drinking coffee and my house is on fire and my only concern is not spilling the coffee while my house burns down, I should probably put the coffee down and grab the fire extinguisher. <laughs> That's how they are with votes. It's like, yeah. well, wait, we have more liberals. Are they going to not vote for me if I crack down on this? Don't crack down. It's like, dude, you have to crack down. Like, I'm big into stoicism. And uh, what's stoicism? Oh, oh man, stoicism. Should I is, even ask? <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a philosophical thing. I wouldn't call it a religion. It's a philosophy. Um, and it's got it. I don't even know how I would give you like a brief version of it, but it's basically like control the things that you can control and always do what's right. The only virtue is doing what is right. Okay. Whether it's good, it's not good, do it. Um, hey, you hey. got to check out, you got to check out this, this book right here. I read, I read that. It's called The Daily Stoic. Okay. It's every day. There's like a little meditation on there. One day, one paragraph. It's really good. But anyway, Marcus Aurelius, he's a really famous Stoic. Thanks to Gladiator. What's that? I said thanks to Gladiator and Russell Crowe. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he said that, uh, oh, now I lost it. Yeah, but I know. That's me. But basically, like, there is no bad time to do right. Like, if it, if it's, if it hurts to do the right thing, you still got to do what's right, regardless of anything else. And, but that takes a lifetime of learning how to, how to cultivate the strength to go, wow, I really messed up and I need to tell this person I love that I really messed something up that's going to hurt the way they look at me or I betrayed their trust or whatever. But I need to take accountability for that because it's right. That's what politicians don't do. They do the opposite of that. They do what is going to be more, what is going to be popular enough for me to win. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I just want to do what's going to keep me in. Yeah. And that's where that whole system, to me, you're not fixing the the political system in this country unless you completely wiped it out and started all over. Which, how do you do that? Nah, well, yeah, right. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know. Uh, my mind can't wrap my head around it as far as what would be a utopian society. One thing I do wonder, though, People say a lot of times it's about the voters, and I always think it's more about the money. And I wonder if the decisions are more about the lobbyists, the donors, and just keeping coffers full. Because, and it, it's actually my goal. My goal would be to get unemployment and to spend like a year understanding campaign finance and what happens to all that money. So, like, Biden raised fucking whatever, $40 million in a month. Like, did he, does he have to spend all that 40? Does he get to save right. like 25 of it for the next four years? Yeah. Does yeah. he get to so, hire his wife and like security guards? Does he buy an office somewhere and now he owns a building and it's well, I mean, truck? Nancy Pelosi makes 200 grand a year. She's got, she's worth a hundred million. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But, so I, I, I agree that it's about the money, but when it's about the money, the people that are 
paying you have a political leaning also. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. But that that's how you're that's how you're positioning yourself to keep that yes. money coming in versus and that that's one of the things where I feel like politicians almost get too much credit. I don't know if they care so much about the votes. Now they need votes, right? But I think the primary concern is the cash flow, because I think they feel if they go with the cash flow and the lobbyists, then the votes come with it because the Agreed. lobbyist who's given them that money Agreed. somehow example, knows how the votes are going. For example, of course we want to keep Twitter happy because they're helping us get elected because they're censoring certain things and they're publishing certain things that are following a specific line. Narrative. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a narrative. Everything's yeah. a narrative. And it's not just on one side or the other. But, I mean, you can look at any of these major media uh, companies, big tech, all that good stuff, and you can tell exactly what their agenda is. And the politicians don't run anything. I, I, it, it, it's these big companies that they run the politicians, for sure. Funny. I agree. Dude, I want to get a little more. Damn, we fucking we got stoic or philosophical for a while there. I want to yeah, know why I'm you're not about that. why why you're not more of a capitalist, being a GM, and how like your vision for the podcast and academy kind of thing. I'm interested in that. Like why you're not just more greedy and all about money. <laughs> how come you don't um, want to be filthy rich and own like twelve Red Robins? Yeah, um, money never. Like, I, I was poor growing up, and money never really had much value to me. It was, like, I don't know. I, I, I never really thought about, like, why don't I care more about money? But I just, I, I just don't. Um, I have always found that the most valuable things that I've ever gotten have never cost me a dime. And maybe indirectly they have. But every lesson that I've ever learned... Every time I've ever been like, wow, this is the proudest thing I've ever done. It, it, it hasn't been because of how much money was in my bank. Um, I mean, I've won fights where I had negative $900 in overdrafts in my checking account. And I was the happiest person in the world because the reason that I won that fight was because I was focused on that, not the negative $900 in my checking account. And I feel like with money, it's, it's the type of thing where like, oh, I just want to get to a million. Well, you get to a million, then what? Now I want to get to 1.5 million. Well, now I need 2 million. Well, now I need to generate. And meanwhile, your life is disappearing. And you're not looking at, you're not looking at life. You're looking at spreadsheets and checkbooks. And, and, and I, I've had a lot of, like I said, I've been around a lot of bad leadership, lack of leadership, kind of went through a lot of things on my own. And it, I just realized that, like, man, money can help you get out of problems, but not really. Like, at the end of the day, it's up to you. Huh. You need to, I mean, having a good lawyer helps, I guess. But if you're not putting yourself in those positions the situations to, need lawyer, to need the lawyer, then. Exactly. That's interesting. And I just, I don't know. I, I have to credit my grandmother, I guess, because she was, my family was never rich. But. We always had, we always had happy times and we were 
into the, like the, the, the smaller pleasures of things. And I, I don't know, I never was around fancy stuff and I never just felt, I never felt a need for it. I honestly feel like money ends up devaluing things. Cause when you have more, if I have a hundred million dollars, I can, it, nothing means anything to me. Yeah. Cause it can, I can be replaced, get whatever right? I want. It's like, it doesn't mean anything, you know, to me, it's yeah. like, man, if, if I'm the GM of a Red Rob and I can positively impact these kids' lives, because let's be honest, restaurants are not, most people don't choose a restaurant as a career. They either end up in it it's a fall like me. It's a fall they back. either end up in it like me, like you're just working hard and it happens, like that's what happened to me, or you're using it as a transition to help you get through school to get to a career. Like I have, like I, I understand that. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, but like, man, if I'm in a position now to work with these people to make their schedules so that they can make good money, but still have the balance that they need to focus on their studies and their school and these other things so that they can get what they want so they can live a life that's fulfilling and meaningful to them. Well, that my job is more important than making sure that we're not wasting ice cream or whatever. Yeah. Right. Some margin. Uh, I never, I, I never put it in that. I, I look way less at, at profitability than I do at the quality of life of the people that work for me. And, um, I mean, that's been a battle sometimes I with bet. the higher ups. Um, but I've always been able to find the balance where they're making enough money to keep them happy. And I'm still able to do the things that I want to do. And that's the value in the job that I have now is I'm able to like kind of be a buffer and protect all these people from the corporate, whatever of the world. Um, but it's not what I want to do forever. It's, yeah. uh, it has got me to a point where I'm financially secure enough to say, okay, it's almost time now. I'm going to go do X, Y, or Z because I have enough money available to not be homeless. Yeah, right. Once if it doesn't work out, I have some time. Most good things don't take off immediately as soon as you start. You got to put the work in behind them. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I just never, uh, I just never really cared. We didn't have money when I was a kid, so I just never cared about it. And I know it, it's weird, right? Because some people that grow up poor, it's like I'll never be poor, right. and their whole focus is on not going, like not ending up poor. So they end up being greedy and all these things. But one thing that money can't ever buy you is more time. And no matter what you do, I always think of my life as like okay. If you, if you look at life from a supply and demand standpoint, right? <laughs> when the supply of something goes down and the demand goes up, the value of whatever that good service, whatever is, the value is more. So every day that goes by, you have less time. Yeah. So that time should become more valuable to you every single day because every single day that goes by, you have less of it now. Yeah. It's like, okay, so what am I doing with my day today? When did you, cause I, I think about this. I, I have a daughter. She's 11. She could give a fuck. I remember being on the couch. I could give a fuck, right? Like time is nothing. Do you remember when you became aware of time and started valuing it? Um, initially probably right around turning 30, maybe. Um, but like really like focusing on it 
I would say the last three three years. I'm 36 now, so probably like 32, 33. Um, stoicism has helped me with that a lot. Um, they have they have a saying called memento mori. It means remember you're going to die. Oh. And then the saying that repeat that immediately follows that is memento vivere. So remember to live. So that, that saying there, it's like, you're going to die. No matter what you do, right. you're going to die. So what are you doing while you're here? Because, you know, this whole COVID thing, a lot of people have completely just spent a year of their life doing nothing except drinking and hiding from each other. And I understand in the beginning when they said like, you know, two weeks, everybody chill out. Yeah, but it's like, you, I, I gave it six, I, I gave it a month. And honestly, it was probably closer to about 10 days. But yep. I was like, fuck y'all if you're going to keep taking month after month from me, bitch. Right. Fuck yes. That. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and I use COVID a lot to explain the whole memento mori, memento vivere thing. Because if you never left your room ever and never saw another human being again, you will still die. And you'll die alone and sad and unfulfilled. So for me, it's not about being happy all the time because you're never going to be happy all the time. It's about what brings you fulfillment when you do it. That's that's what you chase. Money makes you you find five bucks in your in your uh, pocket when you're doing laundry. That makes you happy. It's like cool, five bucks. I didn't know I had that. <laughs> five minutes later, you're not still happy about that. Yeah, it's over. So I think the pursuit of happiness is where a lot of people go wrong. Because they want to have more money so they can do more things so they can be happy. But there's never any fulfillment. So then when you get down the road and you're looking at your life and you're like, man, did I ever do anything that really meant anything? Like, yeah, I had a lot of fun. But like, did I ever do anything that was meaningful to me in any way? And that's where the challenge is, is people look for meaning instead of creating meaning. You can create meaning in anything you do if, if it hits you right. And for me, that's been martial arts, stoicism, and I've just been always been really reflective of like, what are the things that hurt? Why did they hurt me? And, huh. and what can I learn from that pain? If there's no pain, there's no lesson. Most times, it's hard to learn a lesson without some form of pain. You know, you know, you don't learn to not touch the stove until you burn yourself on it. <laughs> So that's that's kind of always been it for me. But the stoicism was a, was a really big part of me, really like valuing my time. Like I told I told my buddy Joel the other day, like almost every day, I, I there's a moment in my in my day where I go, all right, thirty six. That means I probably got at least forty good years left. So I all right, so I'm at this. I'm at, that makes me at about forty five percent of my very you know active life and so I'm probably all right so what do I like I always have this like clock in the back of my head right I'm just very aware of the fact like today I'm here tomorrow I'm one day closer to not being here and uh it brings meaning to everything because it's all gonna go what do you think happens when you die what's your belief man uh well your physical body goes in the ground and gets eaten by worms and turns into grass or Soil fertilizer, fucking compost. But as far as like your consciousness and, and who you are as like a, a being, 
so to speak. Um, I don't believe that that ever disappears completely. Um, I just can't find a way to believe that everything that I am is just no longer exists. The, the best theory, I, I don't even want to call it a theory. Um, the best thought that I've heard on it is that your consciousness is like a radio signal hmm. and your body is the antenna that drew that signal in. And so now you're walking around and people can hear your signal. Okay. And so when you die, your consciousness goes up and it just does what it does until it finds something else. And I can reconcile that with a lot of things in life. Like why does my dog have the personality that he does? Uh. <laughs> I know like my dog is like certain humans that I know. I'm like, man, you're the same as this person. I had a dog that was exactly like me. My, my, my last dog. He was just like me. He was scruffy and rough looking. And like, he was the run of the litter. And he was like, I'm like, man, this dog is me. If I was a dog. And so I guess you would say that's reincarnation. I, I wouldn't call it reincarnation in like the sense of like, if you're a good person, you'll be this next time. And yeah, if you're a you're bad LeBron person, James. you'll be grasshopper. Yeah, like, right. I wouldn't say it like that. I think it's more random than that. Huh. Um, but at the same time, nothing's random. The universe is crazy. It's like everything's random, but nothing's random. Like, why is the universe structured the same exact way as the neuron pathways in your brain? And if you look at a photo of, like, nebula and clusters in the universe and you look at a photo of someone's eye up close you can't tell you can't tell the difference between the two it's like that fibonacci sequence right like no matter how deep you go into it it, it always is the same it just repeats forever yeah. i don't know it's crazy when you start thinking about that stuff did you always think that way or did you grow up as like a sunday school guy did you grow up agnostic no, uh, my mom was religious uh, my mom was very heavily Christian when I was a kid. My my dad's side of the family was Catholic. Um, I never prescribed to traditional religion. Um, I think it's I think it's um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's like a little bit. It's like pompous, almost like oh yeah, God is watching you masturbate like come on like you know it's like that kind of thing where it's like we're reading a book that's 2000 years old that was translated 9900 times in every single language that there is it's like i can't tell uh one of my other managers a message and have it get delivered the same way that i told it to them yeah how are you going to translate a book that's that many years old and it's going to be Dude. so the, the literal, the literal aspect of, of religion, I just can't, I just can't. So just as a weird side note that goes with that. So I'm a reading specialist. I'm working with ELL kids. Um, I have Hispanic girl who had just come from El Salvador, I believe. I'm on Google Translate. I speak a little bit of Spanish. I think I learned most of it um, growing up in restaurants because yep. you gotta whatever get the fucking I only plate. know how to curse and say things you're not supposed no, to no doubt right like dami la plato or well like yeah. give, give me my plate right and fuego mesa no 24 whatever 
Um, so the girl is into reading, and it's very clear she's articulate by the way she speaks in Spanish. Now, she sounds completely stupid in English because she can't say puppies. She goes, poopies. Yeah. Right? But so I want her to feel good, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're actually a dork. And I put that into Google Translate, and I always love reading the Spanish in Google Translate so that I can yeah. show them – I sound stupid. It's okay. I hope that they I then, sound stupid when I speak Spanish. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, you're going to be a little bad speaking English. Don't sweat it. The word that Google Translate put dork into, I recognized as a curse word. And I'm like, that had no... I, I, I didn't mean to curse at you. And the girl's looking at my computer as I'm like typing. I'm like, oh, shit, in my head. You know, I'm like, delete, delete, delete. So if Google Translate in 2021 has not figured out that dork written by me equals some other sentiment other than calling this girl right. a curse word. Yeah. How is something translated from what exactly. like Hebrew to English? 100%. How are we getting the subtleties and nuances? No way. Correct. For yeah. so many fucking pages that we want to quote third chapter, fourth verse, fifth says. It's like, yes. oh man, that's 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 very yeah. restrictive. Yeah. Are we sure? Yeah. I agree. And, and a lot of times it's like, you have to find, some people say you have to follow the Bible literally. And I'm like, so do you think you should burn in hell if you eat shrimp on a Saturday? Because the Bible says that. <laughs> it's like, you know. Little rules. I, yeah, it yeah. can be a guide for a way to be a decent human being. I have no problem with the Bible as a, as a piece of literature. But as like, a, no, you have to do everything it says all the time. As the Beetlejuice book. Do you remember that from Beetlejuice? The yeah. guide for the dead. <laughs> it was like VCR instructions. You're like, the Bible, the Bible can feel like that, man. If you just want to, people hone in on the verses they connect with, which is cool. You know, I always got into, um, shit, I forgot the book Solomon wrote. It wasn't Song of Solomon. What's the super philosophical where it's all the sayings? Shit, I don't even remember. It's Old Testament. It's amazing. I can't remember the name of the book. But I always gravitated towards like the philosophy and the sayings of things more so yeah. than like the parables of Jesus. Yes, I agree. And, and, and that's why I like stoicism because th there's nothing about really like – there's really nothing about like, oh, God says do that. It, it's all about like, hey, if you're a human, you want to do that like this. Is, but it's like people telling you from their own experiences how to handle certain things. Like I like that. It's it's, it's 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 still very applicable today because there's you're still dealing with other people and you're still dealing with people who lie and cheat and yeah, steal. Yeah, but you almost want to like trust your spirit, right? So if you believe in spirits, the spirit in your conscious probably guides you in the right way, and it yes. must be super conflicting. And I would imagine lead to a shit ton of unhappiness if you're constantly battling yourself to live to some sort of standard that sure. your spirit is tugging you out a different way. I knew, I knew a girl who was a Jehovah's witness and we used to want to date. This was like 15 years ago. And she just couldn't, she just couldn't because I'm like, listen, I'm really sorry, but like, I'm not going to any of your meetings. I'm not going to be asking people to convert whatever. And it was like, well, we can work on whatever. This girl wanted to not be a Jehovah's Witness in the worst way. I mean, really? crying to me, all these different things. She wanted out so bad. But the social pressure put on her from her friends and family, she just couldn't do it. And 
now she's married to someone who is a Jehovah's Witness as well. I don't really know what's going on in her life. Oh, she knows what's going on in your life, though, because she's fucking every night on Facebook checking you out, man. I actually don't but even she's... have a Facebook, so that's good. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like you see people like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But I don't have the, like, the, the power to just take myself out of it because what that would mean, and we used to like go back and forth about it all the time. And I'm like, if this person will not be your friend because you choose to not do X, Y, or Z, how much of the, if the only condition for this person being your friend, if you're a Jehovah's witness, they're your friend. If you're not, they're not, that person's not your friend. Yeah. And it's a convenient, like group thing. It's like being in the mafia. It's a fucking pyramid scheme, man. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know a ton of Jehovah Witness, but it seems to me yeah. like a pyramid scheme where they just want to keep collecting so that they get yeah. assets. So it, yeah, it's like uh, we were out. We were out one time, uh, me and her and a couple of friends, and we were all just sitting around having a couple of drinks. And some Jehovah's Witnesses came, and they sat at the booth. Wait, she was okay. drinking with you? Oh, <laughs> big drinker. They didn't care. You're not allowed to celebrate any, you're not allowed to celebrate your birthday, but they let you celebrate your 21st birthday. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, stop. Really? So you're not allowed to celebrate being alive unless it's the time that you're legally allowed to get fucked up. That's a real thing. The religion huh? makes an exemption for that? That's crazy. I don't know. But anyway, we're sitting there drinking and... Uh, <laughs> These Jehovah's Witnesses show up that she knows, and she's like, put her hood up, and she's like doing this. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, those are my friends from the, I don't know what, the church, I guess. Yeah, right. And I'm like, well, why are you hiding from them? She's like, they can't, I can't let them go on out with you guys. And that was when I, that was the first time I was like, I'm now offended. You're ashamed to be seen in public with all five of us because we don't prescribe to the, like, because they're going to judge you. I, why don't you go sit with them and we'll have a good time over here? You don't have to be around us. Go sit with them. You know, that was really the point where I was like, man, traditional religion is, there's a lot of that, depending on how, you know, how devout you are. But I, I never could put something that someone that I never met from 2000 years ago above my experiences with people no matter who you are if you're a good person I, I we can be friends i don't care if you're black or white or gay or straight or a man or a woman or whatever i don't care or liberal uh conservative i don't care about that and i don't think that anything that tells you how you should interact with everyone based on certain boxes that they i hate when people try to put each other in boxes and i i just can't get on board with any of that so that's why i just never really took to the whole religion thing but i am spiritual for sure yeah right clearly a lot of time thinking about that was it was it a big deal to your mom or dad as far as not like adopting my dad's not religious at all most catholics Uh, aren't (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> only on easter and christmas um, <laughs> no my mom was a recovering addict and she kind of found religion going through that and uh she she later tra- she later transitioned to buddhism which, oh, no way 
I like that a lot more for her. I like Buddha. If I had to pick a religion that I like the best, I think it's Buddhist. Because they don't tell you what to do other than just be kind to everyone and love everything because everything's the same. Is it like, really I see that no simple? Harm in that. Huh? Like, is it really that simple? The Buddhist religion from her Mostly, experience? Yeah. They asked the Dalai Lama one time and he said, kindness is my religion. It's, it's basically never harm anything. Everything is one. Like, is the easiest way I could sum it up. I'm sure it's a lot more complex than yeah. that. But there's no, like, they don't tell, like, they don't tell you who to be friends with, who to not be friends with, who you're allowed to associate with, how you're allowed to feel. They want you to go through it and figure it out. So if I had to pick a religion that I think is the least harmful as far as, like, actually being a religion, I, I would go with Buddhism for sure. Um, and you don't, I'm curious because I think everyone's um, experiences dealing with an addict is different and you don't have to get in anything you don't want to. And I mean, no disrespect to your mom, but I'm curious about time frame wise, her uh, dealing with way her. before I was born. This oh was man. God. So my brother, my brother is an addict now. Well, I get, he's in jail. Um, but that has been going on for like the last 20 years or something. It's really, it's, it's annoying to say the least. <laughs> I, I, I've, um, I haven't dealt with, um, drug addict, but I've dealt with drinking addicts, <laughs> like yeah. alcoholics. Like, it's funny yeah. how you call an alcoholic an alcoholic. It's like, dude, you're a fucking addict. Like, you yeah, yeah like there, whatever is your like, heroin. I'm a fucking alcoholic. Like, look, I'm wearing a shirt. I drink and I know things. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is my pajama shirt because I, I, I tell my wife all the time I'm like look I just know everything she's like yeah you drink too much I saw that shirt I'm like yeah cool. that, dude cool. that is, there, there's something to be said about that I mean that is true like you get you get very stoic um, when you drink yeah. a lot <laughs> but I, it's I I'm, guess I'm just curious about how you've being a fighter dealt with people because the vibe I'm getting from you is like hard work, overcome, overcome. But then the sensitive aspect of dealing with an addict is what I'm curious about balancing understanding and competitiveness of just fucking beat it kind of a mentality. Yeah, well, uh, compassion is super important. And you have to know, like, you can, you can care about someone and really want to help someone. But you also like you also have to be able to not feed into their bullshit because you can't always just say like you know what you're suffering and like there needs to be some sort of action in yeah. order to fix it or it's never going to get better like things are going wrong but you're not willing to do like so my brother has got my dad has got him ends with like all these different halfway houses and recovery house, and he's like I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it like all right so do you want to get better or do you just want to keep every time you cry we give you a hundred bucks like that's not helping anyone either and that's where if you try to break it down it's like is that being compassionate because you're giving them a hundred dollars you're enabling them to continue to be that's the struggle right the enabler but at some point you have to cut them off or you're not going to help them and you can try to help them all they want, but they have to do the work. And sometimes it just gets to a point where it's like, you're just not going to do the work. What can I do? I got to throw my hands up and just go, well, 
that's another stoic thing is not letting things that you have no control over ruin your day, life, whatever, and knowing the difference. And like for my brother, the fifth time that he pretended he was me when he was getting arrested was that was like my cutoff point. I had to go to court all these different times. Stop, dude. Like, how he knew he knows my social, he knows my info, he, he looks enough like me to pull it off if they look up. So he just says, I got no ID. And he drops. He says, oh, I don't have my ID. My name's Evan, blah, blah, blah. I live at this address. This is my social, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, I've had cops come to my job to arrest me for, like, oh, yeah, you were on a stolen motorcycle. I'm like, no. Stop, dude. Yeah, three times I had to go to court. Traffic tickets, unpaid stuff, uh, all kinds of stuff. So, like, like, what's the court situation like like you go in I there went in and, and the just... cops that were there were like i don't know who that is and i'm like yeah that's because i'm not him that was my brother holy shit man i've never heard that before yep yep multiple times um he hit the most recent time that he got arrested i was it was like three times i had already been to court and i was like i'm gonna keep I'm, we're gonna work this out I had talked to him. He told me he was going to school. He was having a daughter, all this stuff. He was going to make it right, this and that. And then a buddy of mine sends me a picture, a screenshot of an article. He got arrested with heroin uh, after a high-speed chase, whatever. He said he was me. And the cops found out that he wasn't. This, and that's when I was like, all right, that's it. <laughs> that's enough. Yeah, We're done. So I haven't spoken to him since. I, w- I, I will forgive him. I will get past it, but not until he does the work. I, I am no longer going to associate with that version of him. If he does the work and cares about himself enough to start making a positive change in his life for him and for now for his daughter, um, I will support him for sure. Right. But I'm not just going to be like, oh, I always got your back, no matter how many times you get bench warrants put out from my arrest. Like, dude, you're a junkie and you need to get your shit together. So it was like nine years of the super sensitive. I want to help giving them rides everywhere, trying to do what I can. And after a while, it's just like, all right, dude, you're taking advantage of me now. And the, the less people that you have that you can just go to every time something goes wrong, the more you're going to realize, like, I either got to figure this out or I don't know. It's hard. There's no like right way. Yeah. You know, there, every situation is different. Yeah, there's no textbook. And what I've read and I, I've just dealt with um, some alcoholism with relationships with me, especially with my mom, is the she's not so much of a user. She's more of a manipulator. But yeah. what I've read of addicts is they just suck you dry, man. They, 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 they're so laser focused on the fix regardless if they want it or not, if it's a chemical dependency or if it's just a desire, but that emotion drives every single decision and action that they make where they will suck anything. When they know you, when they know you, when you're best friends with them growing up because you're brothers, they know you and they are very resourceful in finding which button do I push to get, and there's no emotion behind it. It's like, all right, all right, that button didn't work. Okay, let me try this. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, I'm going to try this. Okay, that did Like, they'll just keep trying until you get through. And yeah, that's why I was just like, eh, done. Like, I can't keep having you calling me at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I, 
please drive me to please drive me to my dad's house. Uh, please drive me to dad's house. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into recovery tomorrow. Okay, boom. Drop everything I'm doing. Drive you four hours. Turn around. Drive back. Work 15 hours with no sleep because you said you were gonna do the right thing. And then two days later, you're down here to, and you're getting arrested and you're telling people you're me. It's like I'm not doing that anymore. It's it's a fool's errand now. So if you get out and you're on the, you're doing the right thing and you're taking and you're turning your life around and I and you say F I've been sober for two years I, I really want to talk to you I really want to like patch this up right. okay now we can talk because now you've done the work yeah. but until you're willing to do something I gotta just I got I gotta back it off you know what do you it's funny man because the way you talk about jujitsu and your job your personality do you think you're an addict and you've just honed it the right way? And I don't mean that in a disrespectful no, way. No, I don't take that in a disrespectful way at all. I, I think that a lot of people are addicts, uh, right? Like, cause I always hear it's like kind of a genetic thing. Like there's something in your personality that gets pa- alcoholics get passed down. It's the whole Irish thing, right? Like, yeah. Oh, we just fucking drink. So that's what I'm kind of curious at. It seems like, there's this one fork in the road where you have this addictive personality, but if I can hone it towards work, health, functionality, growth, I think so. it's a great I think, thing. I think so. Um, the, the, the moment that it all changed for me was I was 20 years old and I was at a party in my apartment and I had $20 worth of cocaine and I had all these people around and I, I was like, I don't want to share this. Oh. Like shit. So the next thing you know, I'm, down in the laundry room to do coke so that none of my friends know that I have it. And I go to do, I, I chop the thing up and I go to do the line and I, and I look down before I'm going to do it. And the thing that I grabbed to do it on was my high school diploma. Oh, and I it had like all these gold things, like above proficient, above, and, and I just looked at it and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm literally like, here's all these things saying about all this potential I have, and I'm hiding from my friends, so no one asks me for my coke. What is this? The next day, I was a different person. It was like, I snapped. I was like, okay, that's it. We're not going. We're not doing this anymore. We're we're moving in a different direction now. So I never was addicted to it. I never was addicted. I don't believe I've ever been addicted to anything, but I've always been aware of addiction for sure. So I've always been very good at like checking myself. Gotcha. Like, yeah. uh, like at that moment, you know, that was when I realized like I'm going down a path that's leading me to being an addict. And you were able like, to stop it. Like I'm not just doing it because it's fun now and like passing it around. Everyone's having a good time. Now I'm like hiding it, hoarding yeah. it. That's not good. So then I realized, and I've always been good at like just kind of checking myself with my diet, with my whatever. I- I've always been very aware of that. My grandpa had a stroke from drinking when he was in his fifties. Oh. Um. So I'm aware, and and I. I believe that it's genetic to a degree, but I really think it's more about like the family structure. Like my family gets together and everybody drinks when they're together. Like you do it all the time. So when you're growing up and every social thing that you go to is drinking, you tie it to like social, have a drink. Celebration. Something good happened. 
celebrate. So, yeah, so I think it's I think it's more along the lines of like a conditioning than like a genetic like you're going to be addicted to alcohol. That's my personal opinion. I can't prove it either way. But um, but yeah, like my wife's family, they almost don't drink at all. Like like a Fourth of July picnic with my family or her family is like two completely different things. <laughs> They're both good. They both, you know what I mean? Um, I always feel much, much better after visiting her family than I do after visiting my family. We're loud and rambunctious and we drink and dance and have a good time. Her family is very, um, they enjoy themselves. They have a great time. They just do it in a different way. It's right. much more toned down and quiet, but that's, that's what they like, you know, and it works. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know um, that I would consider myself to have an addictive personality. Um, I, th- I think that I definitely would rather be, I know that I'm, I'm high energy, so I always want to be doing something. Dude, you so seem I addicted know- to protein productivity like a motherfucker yes. exactly. <laughs> so it's like okay so I'm, i want to be doing something so why don't i choose things that are going to if i'm going to be running around for the next 10 hours let me be doing something that's going to make me better and and like i said the big thing for me is i don't try to be happy i look for things that make me feel fulfilled hmm. and that Happiness will be a byproduct of that eventually, but happiness fades a lot faster. So when you're trying to do something, when you have a goal or you're trying to get better or learn something new, if you only do it because you're happy when you do it, you won't do it for very long, especially when it's running, martial arts, things that suck when you're doing them. There has to be something more than the happiness of finishing a marathon. You're happy. with That's cool. That's a good accomplishment. But what's getting you through all those other days where you're tired and your legs are heavy and you're like, what the fuck? Why am I doing this? There has to be something there to get you through that or you'll never get to that moment of happiness. And then that happiness takes on a different meaning. It's like it becomes part of your journey, which leads to your – it helps you in feeling that fulfillment, which can get you through – the shitty parts of the next step of that journey. So I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't chase happiness. I, I, I like to do things that are hard because I always feel more fulfilled. Being tired when you go to bed is a great feeling. It, it It's something it, I forget. I think it was, um, have you heard of, uh, or come across Naval? I believe it's not. Yeah. N A V A L. Yep. Yeah, dude. So again, another, I think we mentioned Joe Rogan fucking 40 times or whatever, but hearing him and then watching him and he summed it up so succinctly. It was like, we are overstimulated and understimulated at the exact same time where we yep. have everything going on, but we have nothing going on and it just, nothing fucks, going on. and it fucks with our body and our mind. And that's why so many people seek so many extras for it. Yes. Because you, I agree. No, you've you, you never been able, you don't hit the bed. You've been able to connect with so many people at once and everybody's lonely. Yeah. 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 Right. You can exactly. literally, and it's like, how are you bored? This thing has all the information from human history in it. And everyone's bored. Yeah. How are you bored? 
no doubt. It's weird. But people chase pleasure. Pleasure is a really bad thing to go after. It, it, as soon as the pleasure's over, it's like, well, now what? Yeah, you, yeah. Wake, you wake up with it and you're like, fuck, man. I hope that doesn't end up with a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's 100%. But that's also how people become addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Um, it's because they want to feel good all the time. You're not going to feel good all the time. Dude, I, that's where the mean, that's where you need to be able to find some sort of meaning that's going to get you through when you don't feel good. You're going to do that shit anyway. I, I, I've i been wanting to ask, and it, it was a while ago. I like honestly can't believe fucking. Two two twenty at this point. Um, but I know, actually, dude. I'm sorry. I could. I, no, 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 I'm no, dude. Don't, 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 don't be sorry. I could talk for six hours. Don't. Um, a, a lot of the conversations, to be honest with you, man, it's more. I enjoy it more when they're in that two to three hour range, anyway, because you I can just, really get to cover stuff. Yeah, well, you get to know someone, right? Like yeah. you know, you just get to understand them. Uh, the fulfillment and getting through shitty things. I've never spoken to a fighter. And I'm so curious about what it feels like to be knocked out, to wake up, and then to be like, I'm going to go back and maybe this will happen to me again. Well, so I've never been knocked out. Oh, I've I been thought you PKO'd said that. where like uh, the ref stepped in. I apologize. Um, no, that's fine. Um, that's I, did I, have my, I did have my, my, skull, my skull fractured. Um, I, actually had my entire, I actually had my entire sinus cavity collapsed. Um, with a knee, it it broke through the front the my forehead. It was literally like concave. Um, That's how I had, babies I, are born. I have, uh, I have eight plates and thirty two screws in there. They had to like put it all back together. There's actually a bump right here. No one notices it except me. <laughs> but like I can see where the one plate is. Like I I, I, it, I see it. I notice it. Most people don't notice it, but um. Yeah, how did so that happen? Um, was that the TKO? That was one of them. Yeah, um, I he he hit me with the knee, and I was like, "Fuck!" And I just remember thinking, like, that felt hard. Like I felt the bone hit my bone. Like it wasn't his thigh. Like it hit me, and it was like, "Oh!" Like I felt like I got hit with a hammer or something, like a hard object. And I remember being like, "Oh, fuck! That hurt." And so then we kept fighting. And he went to hit me again and he like barely touched me. And I, for whatever reason, I just like reacted big and I like went like this and he tried to jump on top of me and I pushed him off. And when I went to stand up, the ref saw my forehead and just stopped the fight. Gotcha. And I'm a, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm fine. Dude, I was throwing chairs in the back. I didn't know what was going on. I was furious. And so then I went to the hospital later and, you know, found out that my skull was fractured. I had like bone fragments they had to dig out of there. But it was two weeks in between that and surgery. So I walked around with a literal hole in my head for two weeks. I, I was working with it and everything. Um, for five months after that, I've also had my testicles severed. Stop. Yeah, no, that was in that was in training. Um, so I have I have one point six testicles. You didn't think about that when you thought you were getting to know me, did you? This is really fucking taking a turn. But, um, yeah, so that happened in training. Someone was throwing a kick. They were trying to kick the inside of my thigh. And I was level changing the shoot, and the kick came more vertical than it should have. And I got blasted. And I don't wear a cup when I train. So I got blasted right in there. Um, 
it was me and my wife's first Valentine's Day as a as a couple that was dating. It was two days before Valentine's Day. She had to take me to the hospital. She had to like they gave me like these weird diapers I had to put on because there's blood coming out of there. There was like tubes in my in my yeah. fucking in my little grumble. I, she, I, I made her like pull the tubes out, cut oh them. My like, God. It was it was. That's how I knew she was. There was like I'm like all right. She's cutting stitches out of my ball sack. There's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to turn her off at this point. No. It doesn't get any like more of a relationship test than this. So, so like you had a testy, like the dude kicked it and it was ruptured. They had to like amputate it or. It split open like a grape. Holy shit. So they had to, they had to cut it across to the bottom and, and I guess quarterize it. I don't know how they sealed it back, but yeah, right? it's it, like the bottom of it's flat. So it's like. <laughs> do you say 1.6 just to be like instead of 1.5 or like it's 1.6 or is that like an 1. actual 6 medical is definitely more than half it's definitely because <laughs> if you round up it means i still have both of my balls that's what i'm wondering <laughs> you, gotta round up, you always round up you know uh, but i i made her take a picture of it one time so i could see it oh, because shit. i was sitting there one night and i'm like Oh man, it's getting bigger. I think it might be the same size as the other one again. She's like, "No, it's not." I'm like, "Yeah, I can feel it. Yeah, it is." She's like, "No, it's not." I'm like, all right, take a picture. So I'm like, <laughs> laying on the bed with my with my legs like with my ass and my legs up in the air, I'm like making her take a picture of it. So she was right. It's not the same size. <laughs> it is what it is. But the scariest part of that whole moment was when they made me sign a waiver saying that they had permission to take it if they couldn't save it. Oh, just the single testicle, though, not both. Yeah, no, not both. I would never sign for that. Yeah, that'd be a but, tough uh, call, man. But I was high as shit. They gave me all this morphine. They're like, sign this paper for in case we have to take your testicle. And I'm like, why didn't you guys talk about this before you pump me up with drugs, first of all? Because I don't know what the hell is I'm high as shit right now. Dude, did you like when you got kicked? Does the sparring stop? Because you, if you're fighting, if you're, I mean, I dropped. I went down. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a deal breaker. I went down, but normally, like you know, it's like you take a minute or two, you shake it out. It's like, all right, let's go. So I like did that. I'm like, fuck it, I'm good. Let's finish around. So I stand up and I like went to go, and I was like another shoom and I was like boom so after like three minutes of trying to figure out how to finish the round I was like I can't do this then I I went and laid down and it just started swelling up and it got it was a mess wow it was the most awkward ultrasound I've ever had in my life (laughs) a 26 year old nurse she comes in she's like all right I'm gonna give you this towel I'm going out of the room I want you to Put your penis on your stomach and put the towel over it. So meanwhile, she like she like comes in. She's like putting all this ultrasound crap all over my balls. Now, how are you today? Like, like, <laughs> how's your day going so far? I, like, what do you like? How do you make small talk? It was it was so weird. It was so weird. It's just but, a Wednesday for her. <laughs> yep. So I was out of work for like six days for that, and uh, I watched the entire Walking Dead series. Okay. It was like seven seasons in six days. I just sat on the couch and just—I was bored out of my mind. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. So I've had a couple pretty nasty injuries, but uh, I don't know. They always—it always motivated me. Like 
when I got my skull cracked, I was like, man, I gotta, I, I gotta, uh, I gotta overcome this. Mm. Like, fuck that. Like, well, I'm just gonna, oh, this went really bad. I'm done. I don't know. Like to me, like being done on, on a, on a thing like that feels an awful lot like quitting. And I don't, I'm okay with being done, but I, I, I wouldn't be okay if I walked away because of that. So I got my surgery. I was training six days after the surgery, obviously not sparring or anything, but I was like lifting weights and running and stuff like that. Fought five months later, got, got the win. Um, so I was like, all right, cool. I can put that behind me now. That's over. I overcame that. Went to the next fight. That was my last fight. That was the one I lost. So I've been away for seven years since then, but in that time I've competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I competed in Combat Sambo, um, but I'm currently working towards getting another fight set up, summer, fall-ish. In MMA style or what? Yeah, yes. Um, so I, uh, over the last seven years, I've gotten so much better than I was when I was competing before. I'm like, man, I owe it to myself to go in there with like, I have a real camp now. I have coaches. I have training partners, like everything. And I'm in a much better state mentally. I'm not doing this for my ego. I don't really care if anybody watches. I'm doing it because I want to, I, I want to give myself a fair shot with all the things put together, doing it right. Everything I, every camp and fight I ever did was completely wrong from just about every standpoint. So training too hard, overtraining, not training hard. I overtrained to the point, at one point I had to miss a fight because I was so overtrained that my immune system shut down and I got, oh, an, yeah, right? I, I got an infection in my bloodstream and I thought I was going to die. I was so sick. Holy I thought God. I was going to die. It took me two weeks. In five days I slept a hundred hours. I could not, I was done. Um, so I've made all the mistakes there are to make, and I've learned a lot in the process. And so now I'm really looking forward to taking all that knowledge from all that pain and applying the lesson. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm in a much better place now mentally, physically, spiritually, everything. So, How much does it, 36 fight game, like basketball-wise, again, I'm not, it's, it's so bad that I keep having to go to that analogy. Like 36, they basically say you're washed up and done. But I'm yeah, curious with the technical is. aspects, if you can go a little further, because the weight class, you're, you you have to be within the same weight, and well, you'd almost think yes, the experience also it's, fight, also, it's fighting. There's a lot of different ways to make a fight go. Right. I don't need to stand on the outside with some 24-year-old who's way faster than me. If I press him against the fence and take him to the ground, I don't care if he's fast. He can't move. I'm on top of him. Yeah, right. There's, there's ways to – I mean, there's guys like Daniel Cormier just retired. He was the heavyweight champ at 42. He oh, was a two-division champ at 42. Um, Randy Couture is a UFC Hall of Famer. He fought till he was 48 or 49. Well, I mean, I'm not planning on going that far. Yeah, but you Come hear about dudes forward. like George Foreman. Right? Like he was yeah. fighting heavyweight boxing wise yeah. almost to it was fifty, right? Evander Holy. Yeah, Bernard Hopkins was a champion at fifty one. Yeah, right. That's right. So it's yeah, I mean, I'm not going that far. Maybe forty. <laughs> we'll see. You know what? I'm gonna fight until it doesn't bring me the same level of fulfillment anymore. Um but I learned the lesson about needing to have fun and enjoying the process of learning. 
And that's how you get better. And that's what I've been doing every day. And it's certainly paying dividends. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm not rushing it. When the opportunity, the universe will open the door and I will walk through it. That's that's all. I'm just going to keep doing the right thing. Uh, I lost you on the video. Where did it go? Can you see me still? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I don't know what I did. I clicked something. And I can't find it now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I can well, see myself. <laughs> I don't know where you went. It's weird. When it's when you're gonna go fight again? Is this? I know nothing about the difference between an amateur fight and a professional fight. Is it simply just getting paid to fight that makes you a professional, or is it the level yes. of competition? Yes. Uh, also, the the rounds are different, and the. Um, the round times are oh there you are right, cool sorry about that the round times are, are different and um, some of the rules are different like you wear shit pads in amateur um, you're not allowed to punch to the face on the ground as an amateur uh, three minute rounds instead of five minute rounds so gotcha. uh, the referees are will also stop the fight a lot faster in an amateur fight than they would in a pro fight yeah it makes sense and so you going back are you hoping for a pro fight oh yeah you can't go backwards once you're a pro you're a pro. God. <laughs> you can't that, you can't be on pro once you're a pro you're a pro is that a pride thing or is that just like a rule of fighting no that's the rule like once you're a professional you can't like you can't go I down mean, there and beat up a bunch of little I mean, what's the kids? point like I, i'm gonna go fight some kid who's got one amateur fight under his belt gotcha that makes sense it, it doesn't really make much sense from like from the fighter standpoint either. Like I wouldn't want to take a fight that wasn't going to be a challenge. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, and I want to fight. That's not a challenge. I do jujitsu with my dog. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Right. He yeah. Him. I was thinking about that. The jujitsu analogy would be that, right? Like why would I battle a white belt? Right. Like belt? if I'm a black belt, I'm not entering a white belt tournament. So in jujitsu tournaments, they do white belt, blue belt. Like you compete by your belt level. So if I'm a purple belt, I'm going to compete with purple belts. Yeah. If I'm a brown belt, I compete with brown belts. If you're a black belt, you should be ready to compete with anybody. Right. But if you're a black belt signing up for a white belt tournament, you're a dickhead. <laughs> we call you a sandbag. Trophy like, chaser. Yeah, like what are you doing? <laughs> Got to get first. Black belts right? don't have that mentality mostly because yeah. why? I, I don't understand. There's no challenge in that. I don't understand why you would do it. I could fight, I could go fight a whole classroom of fifth graders. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, great job. It's like, what are you doing? Dude, do you remember, um, th that was an episode on Seinfeld with Kramer. I think he became like a, I do a purple belt. And then like Jerry goes to class, he's like, Kramer, they're children. <laughs> and Kramer did, gave zero fucks. Yeah, what was that on, uh, on Step Brothers when they were making him lick the white dog poop? All the, all the kids on the schoolyard? <laughs> It's hilarious, man. It's, really, it's, God, I love it. All right, Evan, um, let me get you out of here on this, um, my friend. I've enjoyed the time, but I, um, I have limits to how much sleep I need before I got to go grind and change lives. No problem, brother. I appreciate it, man. It was a good talk. No, no, don't leave yet, man, because this is how I end my podcast. And okay. Take your time. I want you to take me to a moment in your life. Get ready to tell a story. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last 
sponsored by abstinence waiting makes it worthwhile best first so the best first anything of my life 100 dude you nailed it most people like it takes them i shouldn't downgrade anyone else but you got that quicker than many another person feel good about yourself (laughs) (laughs) and amazingly i'm like you know, maybe the time when you took your first 1.6 testicle, testicle selfie would have been a good best first for last. I time. wouldn't consider that my best. <laughs> I was definitely a first, but I don't know if I would consider that my best. <laughs> um, man, there's been a lot of different things. Um, Psychologically, I just enjoy where different people's minds go when they interpret their own best first yeah. for last. It's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to pick, you know? Um, I feel a lot of times things jump into people's minds and then they feel bad rolling with it. Cause they don't want to like exclude some other first. Yeah, no, I don't feel that way. I'm just waiting until something will be like, that was definitely it. I'm just thinking about a, a couple different things and there's like, it's like, uh, like, why was it your best first? And I feel like I'm not, I don't want to think like, oh, this one was the best because it was just awesome. You know, hmm. um, this has to be my best first. Would have to be my wedding. Um, oh, hopefully okay. it's also my best last. <laughs> um, like but it. So obviously everyone loves their wedding. But when I tell you that this wedding was far and away the absolute best wedding I've ever been to in my life, it was insane. (laughs) It was crazy. It was pouring rain for six days straight. The day of our wedding was June 21st, 2019. The day of the wedding, the sun just came out. And we're like, they like this? And we went to the venue and they had like air movers all over, like, like they were drying the lawn up. And I was right. like, oh my God, it's per- perfect weather. The how weather much, was how much were y'all stressing and, the rain before or during, like on the buildup? Uh, I was not stressing the rain at all. All of the, all of the stressing in, in our relationship happens on my wife's side. She does all the worrying and planning and I do all the like, Oh shit! Well, we got to figure this out now. I'm, I'm like much more like I live on the fly kind of thing. Gotcha. So I'm like, yeah, if it rains, we dance inside. You know? Yeah. She's like, oh, it's gonna rain. It's gonna rain. Flowers. Oh. Yeah, that's a different. That's a that's a genetic. Not not a genetic. That's a gender thing too. You know, yeah, like right. the wedding for a woman is like to me. I'm like, we're gonna have a great party. Um, but man, it was just it it just worked out so great, and that was the first time in my life where I ever, despite any other accomplishment or anything that I could have picked, that was the first time in my life where I was like, man, I'm a success. Where I like felt like I was a success. Like my life was a success because I was standing up front and I looked at the five people that I had next to me and I looked out and I saw the people that were there. And I'm like, I respect or look up to every single person that is here in some way. And they all made the time to spend here doing this for me and for Megan. And like, man, 
these people that I look up to so much found this important enough to be here for me today. And I was like, I must be, my life is a success because I'm surrounded by people that I think are the most beautiful people in the world. And they're all here to celebrate me loving this woman. And I thought that that was really, really cool. Um, it was a really powerful moment. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be, that's gotta be the one. That's definitely the right one. Did you, uh, did you tear up or cry on the wedding day? I didn't cry, but I did get the like, <laughs> I'm not crying, you're crying face, you know, Where you kind of are like trying to stand there and look like you're not crying, but you're doing like, yeah, man. So it, my, my cousin's girlfriend at the time, she was like, you're going to cry. You're going to cry. Mr. Tough guy. You're going to cry. I'm like, <laughs> So we were standing there and I was like trying not to cry. And, I, and she looked over and she looked at me and she went, and I was like, fuck. I thought I was holding it together. Um, but it was really just, it was a beautiful moment, man, because like my wife is my best friend. And um, I think we compliment each other so well. And she's taught me so much about love that love is not always what you think it's going to be. Like love is not infatuation for the rest of your life that love is like when you just are willing to do what it takes to make it work i think so many people think that like if you love someone you should never have a bad moment with them ever it's like no love is what it's like we talked about the fulfillment love is what gets you through those moments love is what makes you able to after a big fight look at yourself and say you know what I'm really sorry about this, this, yeah. this. It I takes long to do that, you know? Um, and I've learned so much from her. She's taken me all around. She's a big traveler. I never traveled. We went all over the world since I met her. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely the best first. And hopefully it's also the best last. I'm not planning on doing that again unless she dumps me. <laughs> Dude, you lose another testicle. I'm not saying she will. But I'm saying she's going to think about it. <laughs> if I lose another testicle, we could be BFFs and go shopping together. <laughs> you know? So. Might as well. What was the uh, first dance? What was the first dance song? Uh, we did Wonderwall by Oasis. Why Wonderwall? What the heck? Because I would not have we, thought that. No, because we both liked it. And we were sitting there going through songs and we're like... Like looking at all these songs on YouTube and stuff, and we're like, oh, we could, how are we going to dance to this? What about this? What about this? And then it just like came on the playlist as we were looking for it. I was like, oh, I love this song. She's like, I love this song. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and we thought back to like a couple times where it was on before, and like anytime it ever came on before, it's like one of the only songs that we both agreed we loved, like from the beginning of the thing. And we we're like, yeah. No one ever plays this at their wedding either. Like we had a very non-traditional wedding. Um, we did a lot of stuff different. We didn't want it to be like, you come to the wedding, you do this, then you do this, then you do that. Like we did everything all out of whack. Um, we, we changed, we mixed a lot of different stuff in and it was just really good. Cause it was a song that meant something to both of us personally, but also it was like, it was, it was, Nobody else has that for their first dance at their wedding. Just to be a little different. What? Yeah, yeah. What did it mean to you personally? The like, song? Yeah. What was your connection to it? Um, I 
it's hard to like put a finger on like exactly what my connection to the song is. I was song, you got married. Song. You got married 2019, right? Like I'm trying to think back to that song. I thought that song was like around 99. It's, it's got to be like yes, it was 20 years song. at that point, right? It's an older song for sure. And I, I, I don't know. I think that thinking of like, if you think of the lyrics and like today is going to be the day you save me. Cause after all, you're my wonder wall. And I, I, I don't know. Like it just fit. Like, I feel like I didn't necessarily need saving when I met her. There was times that I did. I ended up saving myself. But being with her helped me grow a lot of parts of myself that would have never been challenged if it was just me looking Mm. at me. Because sometimes you need another perspective to help you see things about yourself and help you navigate where you're going like you you watch a rally race they got a co-pilot right like a hard left turn coming up at 90 meters because they're so focused on where they're driving they don't see what's going on so i feel like she was kind of like that co-pilot for me in my own life and she helped me find a balance in a lot of ways um we balance very well we're very different we're very different we're different politically we're different um the way we approach life. Like I'm very like, fuck it. Let's see what happens. And she's very like itinerary. She wants to plan the itinerary. Where do we go? What happens? if She's got contingencies, (laughs) but it's been a nice, it's been a nice blend because I'm able to help her be a little more spontaneous and get her out of her comfort zone. Sometimes I get in the car. Where are you going? Don't worry about it. What about don't that, that, and then we just go and we have a good time. But sometimes, like when we're going to Italy, it's like it's a good idea to know where you're going and how to get there. Yeah, no. I would just show up in Italy and be like, fuck, what now? You know, and <laughs> Take a left. <laughs> I can't get on this train. I don't know what's going on. So, <laughs> Dude, yeah. that's such so a it good works, image. Yeah, it works well. It works well. It's a good balance. And balance is very necessary in life. No doubt. No doubt. Evan, who knew? I did not expect the best first for last to be so sentimental. It just speaks, speaks about your totality as a person, my friend. I am, yeah, I'm, I'm a very, uh, I try to be a very layered guy. And I know that I, it, the funny thing is, like, I am very aware of the way that I look, how my voice sounds, <laughs> the way I walk. Telling like, you, I'm man. very aware of the perception that I get. And I got that perception. The funniest thing, the last story I'll give you for uh for this is uh my well my wife's family now when we first started dating they were like (laughs) poor choice poor choice they were very like they kept their distance from me i bet um and like her grandparents are 95 and 90 they're still in great health which is amazing which means she's going to live way longer than i am right um but (laughs) They're still in good health, but they're very old school. And they're seeing the tattoos. And why do you want to fight? What do you fight? You're a fighter. And it was like kind of like one of those things. And the funniest thing that got them to accept me was not me. It was my Instagram page. My personal Instagram page is Pelligroso515. And they would follow that. They would follow that, and they would see the posts I would put about the way that I looked at their daughter or their granddaughter. Or they like I have very like I have moments where I'm like, holy fuck, it makes sense, and I like put these like 
big things. I'm a very philosophical guy. So they were like, wow, he's deeper than we thought. And he loves our daughter. Maybe we should give this guy a chance. And then they started like talking to me. And so it, strangely enough, they got to know me before they got to know me. Right. As weird as that sounds, because if you look at someone's social media, depending on how out front they are with, with it about their feelings and stuff like that. But like a guy like me, you can look at my social media and get a pretty decent idea of what kind of a person I am. Cause I don't, I'm an open book. I don't, I say how I'm feeling if I feel a certain way about yeah, it. Right. Um, but I try to only post things that are going to be that positive. Like I don't post any divisive bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You're trying it's to all about growth and finding, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about, but I noticed after they started following me on Instagram, we we like went over there like a month later, and they were like asking me questions. Talk. I'm like, this is the friendliest they've ever been to me. What's going on here? And I started putting two and two together. I'm like, I go back. I'm like, I like that. They like that. Holy shit, they like me because of my Instagram. The grandparents. The grandparents fucking Instagram stalked you. Yep, for That's sure. Pretty grosso. That means dangerous, right? Yes. Yeah. So. Peligroso, so my fight name is Kid Peligroso. Oh, um, shit. Really? All the Guatemalans at my job, when I started fighting, they used to say, oh, hey, we don't know, want no trouble. We know you Peligroso, kid. You Peligroso, kid. So I said, fuck it. That's going to be my fight name. Like, I got a, I got a little, little tattoo there. On oh, my shit. Yeah, you, dude. And I like the font on that, too. Yeah. My brother did this one, actually. Oh no! Like, he was, added you he up. Training or? to be a tattoo artist, he did a few of them. He did this one. He did uh, this moon. Uh, that moon right there. He did that one. I like let him just like I gave him a couple small spots to like let him try on. Um, it's a shame he never went with it because he's super talented. Dude, the Pelly Grosso he, looks he was, cool, and the I moon mean, looked a little. Was creepy. always the more talented, witty brother. I was always the one that was like, just like trying to do the hard, hard work. And on a long enough timeline, it's like a marathon, right? Yeah, right. And me and you were running a marathon and I go sprint out of the gate. Four miles later, I'm going to be on the side of the road and you're just going to. Yeah. You know, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think he's got that sprinter's mentality where like, I'm going to practice doing tattoos for three weeks and then I'm going to be a fucking tattoo artist. It's like. Dude, that's not how it goes. You got to put the time in. So. Yeah, hone your craft. Yeah, and yeah. It seems, I mean, it, it seems he, like you're applying that to the fight game and um, I guess just life in general, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's always been the difference between me and my brother. Um, but talent is overrated sometimes. There's actually a book about talent. Yeah. It's called Talent is Overrated. Uh, but I... <laughs> I think talent's great. If you put the work in behind the talent, you can be one of the greatest of all time. That's the quote. So that was one of um, our basketball quotes. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yes. I forget. Yes. I don't know if that's John Wooden. I don't know who originated it, but that's always rung true, especially like I'm, I've never been super athletic. I'm a little white boy. I'm skinny. I didn't play basketball in college. I didn't even fucking play in high school because I had to work. Like I, I grew up where I needed money. So it, I've always loved the challenge of coaching basketball and being pretty good at it without yep. having the rep. Because I got right. that like, fuck you. Like, yeah, fuck, oh, cool. You were great in varsity. Sucks that my little white boy beach bums over here just kicked your ass. Like, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Feel good about that. Yeah, I mean, like, look at Allen Iverson, right? He should have never been shit. 
Yeah, dude, yeah. When he got on the court, man, he just went for it. Yeah, he went. He yeah. just went for it. He was not the most talented guy. Oh, I, so I was taking that a different way, man. He was probably the most naturally talented dude. There's so many stories All about right, so maybe I just have to admit I'm wrong on that one because I don't know enough about basketball. Oh, right? yeah, dude. No, you're – you're. I don't want to tell – if if we were face-to-face yeah, – if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If, I got no problem If we were face-to-face, I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. But since since I, I'm 200 – No, you know what? I just – so I don't know shit about basketball. Uh, I know how to play it. I know the rules. <laughs> but the way that he played, just always – I was like, man, that dude just works 100%. hard. Dude, when he was in the games, he would work hard. The problem yeah, with him – the practice, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was the dude that because he was so good, yeah, you're right, got you're away right. with not putting in the work. And then that's why he got traded like four to five times at the right. end of his so, career. So then it becomes, man, imagine if Allen Iverson would have worked hard. That's the Kobe Bryant. That's the reason yeah. Kobe Bryant was dominant for 20 years because he was – that's why LeBron James is dominant because all he does is work. Yes. He didn't just rely on his talent where like you get a – Iverson only went to one finals and won one game, has a great shot, but like, you, dude, you like you weren't competitive, and yeah, there was no right. team around yeah. you. So it, it's it, it's one of those things. So the example is correct, but I used it backwards. Yes, Iverson would be the guy that didn't fulfill. Uh, I shouldn't say didn't fulfill the talent because he fucking. I mean, he's an icon, but it he, you do wonder what he could have been if he'd have like practiced a jump shot and then became that dude where you're six foot. Hey man, when you hit 34, you're not gonna be able to do what you do when you're 24. A lot like you right. were talking about with like you're not gonna be the fastest. Let me put you up against this wall and see what you can do. Right. So yes. Iverson, if you get a jump shot, you extend your career five years, but that doesn't happen when you're 34. You got to start putting in that work when you're 24 and right. build it up, and now right. you can apply it later on. Yes. See, we just yeah. went all philosophical again. Jesus Christ, Evan. Evan. All right, man, I do it. That's what I do. That's Dude. my. That's what I. That's my. That's my shit, man. I. Kid Pelly Grosso. Yeah, I, I get in conversations it. and I just fucking don't know what to. I don't know how to stop. So. I'm the exact same way. It was man. good, man. I had a good time talking to you. I really appreciate you reaching out and giving me a chance to be on it. I think it's awesome, dude. I really like what you're doing. Man. Me too, man. Thank you for your support. Thanks for letting everybody get to know you, man. And um, keep kicking ass, dude. Love your mentality. Awesome, you, take, take care. Yeah, man. Great getting to know you. Thanks to Evan for coming on the pod, giving up so much of his time, bringing the fucking energy for changing his outlook and focus in life. It really is an awesome story. And can you believe the motherfucker runs a Red Robin? Like, give his uh, Instagram a follow. Um, it'll be in the description. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre, A-N-D-R-E-Y, Psyche, or Psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. If you have not already and you've made it this far into the podcast, please... Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The word of the pod. What else could it be? Stoism. Stoism is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, 
Subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Also, feeling generous? Are you Mr. Moneybags? Go to our Patreon to support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. And finally, for realsies, if you or someone you know, why do I crack myself up at the end? If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. Interested? Just message us. Until the next pod, peeps.